Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Motorist Insurance Group and Brick Street Insurance have come together to create a better one-stop shop for agents and policyholders, encircling you with coverage at every step in life's journey. We are now in Cova Insurance. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I am your co-host, Brandon Howard Thurston, joined by my, hmm, westernly direction, Mookie Ghana, Christopher Harrington. I'm doing the intro this week just because we decided that, that we would do it this way, but we are both sick. We are uh, recovering from various ailments. I may or may not be under the influence of NyQuil as I record this right now, but uh, how are you feeling, Chris? You know, I woke up with a... a- awful migraine today so i'm feeling a lot better than i felt a couple hours ago when i took a four-hour nap in the middle of the day that was pretty nice stayed home from work oh i took a tremendous nap too i went to work and then um i decided to go home because i uh i don't know i was just starting to feel sick and 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 you got to stay healthy you got some matches this weekend i have to wrestle twice let's let's, yeah we have to pull back the curtain here we are recording on friday that's true um, and uh i have to wrestle on saturday and sunday but i took a big nap Took a, I took like a, a dose of NyQuil. I didn't even take the full dose. The thing, the thing says 30 milliliters. And I was like, so I poured it in a little cup. And it's like a shot glass. I was like, they want me to take this whole thing? This looks like something that would be served to me at, at uh, some strange nightclub um, at a bar. And uh, so I was like, I, I took like two-thirds of it. And... Um, I took a great nap that was like a, f- a f- three or four hour long nap, and um, I'm, I'm, my head is a little bit in the clouds right now still, but uh, I'm feeling way better. I'm glad to hear that. I'm just worried that maybe you're using like uh, uh, measuring cups or something, and you're pouring them into big quart jars and then trying to figure out how it's, much. No, it's the little clear plastic thing that, that comes on top of the cap. I've never been, I've never been shocked by the, the, the viscosity or size of that, that uh, shot of NyQuil, but... Perhaps, perhaps this is something I should be worried about more. You know, you you said this was like our one year anniversary, but it says here this is WrestleNomics forty five. So why aren't we at WrestleNomics fifty two if this is our one year anniversary? Well, well, your memory has failed you again. We we started doing this show together on a bi weekly basis. Oh, you are so correct. We, we we have gradually really really let this show uh, just grow and grow. It consume our lives. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
like, um, so we started out just do, and, and remember you put out the survey like, oh yeah, it'll be 45 minutes to 60 minutes. That's what the people who responded to the survey said they wanted. So we did a couple shows that might've been around an hour, but it quickly, uh, turned into, uh, you know, a much longer show. And we eventually started to make the commitment to do it weekly. And then eventually we decided to make this commitment to maybe we'll do bonus audio once in a while. And I was, I was just looking it up cause I was, you know, doing the analytics for, uh, the WrestleNomics business side for the business department of our show. And um, we started doing bonus audio in late January. So February is the first full month that we had bonus audio. And at first we kind of like, yeah, we'll do bonus audio once in a while or when we go over three hours because that's basically our cap here on the free show. But uh, we we have been doing basically five hours. Well, it depends. But we've been doing basically two shows now since February. My goodness. Once, one, I wonder how many hours you have to get up to to be a pro in radio. You know, like what they do, that's like two... 10,000 hours you to be a master of something, right? That is true. That is true. We're, we're so, not quite there. Not, I'm, I'm not there on radio. I'm probably there on, on recalculating how many times has Kevin Thorne had a new gimmick in WWE. But. Which we may discuss later. Not really, something loosely... <laughs> peripherally similar <laughs> exactly no um this is the free show uh we have the patron show the super serve subscriber show and we're going to be talking about uh raw and smackdown viewership uh we have some mookinomics which is russell this is the free show i thought we just discussed like we were going to record the the bonus audio first i don't know i'm confused none of the influence of doxalamine or something like that yeah go ahead Sorry. dextromethorphan uh but no no this is the this is the this is the uh, real show yeah. This is the real show. The other show is not real. It's a figment of your imagination, just like wrestling journalism, huh? Yeah, no, this is the this is the um this is the main show. On the main show here, we're gonna talk Saudi Arabia, we're gonna talk about some TV rights bids, we're gonna talk about the uh, assessments of some of the big investment companies of WWE and the board of elect board of director elections that happened. Yes. And on the pa- Patreon show, which you can find at patreon.com slash Russellnomics, uh, we have uh, Ron Smackdown year over year viewership. You've been digging into it. Uh, we got what I call Mookie Nomics, which is Russell Nomics by Mookie on um, Raw ratings. And then another one I did on YouTube, which uh, has already been greatly skewed from what I originally meant it to be. It's already people, been got people quote tweeting it. It's it's been yes massively misinterpreted. Uh, then we have uh, Mookie's Legal Gazette, which a uh, whole bunch of different legal filings have been coming out in the last couple of weeks here, and uh, any other you know um, news reviews and and um, views I guess uh, that have come out about wrestling, including uh, the passing of of the great Bruno San Martino. So mm-hmm. we'll talk all about that on the Patreon show, which is later, not being recorded now. That's a super serve subscriber show. That you can get over at patreon.com slash Russellnomics. Only $5. And what do you get? You get tons of audio, bonus audio, Super Surf subscriber audio, where we put the premium content for our Super Surf fans. We serve it up to your earlobes, or as you would say, your eardrums. Eardrums. You don't need earlobes to listen to anything. You need eardrums, though, to, to hear things. Um, I guess that's true. Again, you, 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 we don't want to exclude our our listeners who may have attached earlobes or may have minimal earlobes or maybe no earlobes at all. Um so we're including them in this discussion. And uh, if you go to patreon.com slash WrestleNomics and you sign up for the, uh, the bonus audio or the Super Surf subscriber edition of this show, you will become the smartest wrestling fan among all your friends. You will, you will win. Uh, there's no guarantee here, no, no money-back guarantee we're offering here, but you will win all your arguments with your wrestling friends about uh, <laughs> who is and isn't a draw. 
I mean, that, that is one of the, the big drawbacks of <laughs> that seems to you. Um, is, is we have the answers now? No, no, no. Like, so like you're saying, you, you, you did, um, we're going to talk about on the patron, uh, around the super subscriber, super surf subscriber edition of the show. We did some, you did some research on which wrestlers, you know, uh, are associated with, with big YouTube view numbers. And, uh, so we, we like to tweet out, you know, our, our research, like screenshots of, of listings and, and of graphs and things like that. And, and what will inevitably happen. And I think it's a, it's a, insight into the minds of just the mind of the average person and and how epistemology works uh, among the folk if you will that like we put out this thing that is apparently factual but like we don't at least i hazard to to try to draw big conclusions out of it but yes you see how people will take information and put it over whatever their belief template is and they can kind of use it to to confirm whatever their bias is and, uh, and, and but trouble. I mean, it's but at the same time, it's Twitter, like it's trouble, but it's Twitter. And so I'd, I'd w- worry more if I was doing it about the stock market and, you know, mm. people were trading on it Luckily, for this you know, po- politic economics or something like that. We were not the politics show, you know. Uh, well, even then, I would only worry about it if senators were changing their votes because of what they say on here on the show. You know, to me, to me, it's it, for for it's the same as any other barroom argument. Who is better blank or blank? You know, it's just another factoid that people are throwing at each other. And so if you don't use Twitter as a means of of your day to day job, but rather as more of a a, see it more like a pub discussion, I think it's fine. It doesn't bother me. So and actually, I would say there wasn't necessarily as much um, there wasn't as much misinterpretation of the data as there was people thinking that the data was being misinterpreted. So I was tried to be pretty clear about what it what the data was and then people would be like well you have to exclude all this stuff and i'd be like no the whole point of the data set here is to show what it looks like with these things included right and then like if you want to go a second step from it then yeah we can continue down this path of developing the the methodology you get, but it, you get a lot of mansplanations in your replies it, just more that it's just like they'll be like well dana did a video with ronda rousey so you can't include dana's video Mm-hmm. And be like, but no, that's the whole point of this is to see who has ridiculously high views compared to other people. But they're and trying then, to read it as a top 10 or 50 list yeah, of who's I think that's, a draw. That's what they're yeah, trying to read. Yeah. That, those are the eyes that they're trying to use to read that information. Yeah. But we're going to talk about that on the other show. We're not going to give it away on this one. And just a reminder, this show is brought to you by Dollar Shave Club. DollarShaveClub.com slash WE. WrestleNomic Exclusives. That's slash we and you'll be able to get their awesome uh, offer that they have right now: five dollars free shipping, six blade razor, trial size of shave butter, body cleanser, one chi- one wipe Charlie's, lots of other good stuff. Uh, but this show is brought to you by Dollar Shave Club, and you'll hear more details about that Dollar Shave Club offer later in the show. Yeah. Uh, Saudi Arabia, you know, for for a Friday for both of us to be home, we should have stayed home next week because this that's when the the actual show is going to be the greatest Royal Rumble, mm-hmm. a special start time noon Eastern. Mm-hmm. Uh, so well, I got to stream it from work because it's not like anything that I do at work is that demanding anyway. So, but uh, a lot of new graphics coming out here. You have this crazy graphic. Where did this one come from? Where it has like tons and tons of people, almost fifty people. That's a good question. I, I should be able to explain that, shouldn't I? I, yeah. I don't. I saw it somewhere. I, I assume this is a legitimate <laughs> graphic that WWE actually created themselves. 
And and you mentioned it to me just because both Rey Mysterio and Great Cully show up in this mass of people, right? They they are there. There's I did not count how many people are here. There but there might be fifty. But but then again, like the Undertaker's on here. Even even Shane McMahon is is out there too. So it makes me think. Well, is, are they planning on putting Shane McMahon in the battle royal? They may or may not have decided that, and they may or may not change their minds as Vince McMahon wrestling promotions tend to go. But uh, you know, there's Undertaker, Triple H is on here, Brock Lesnar is on here, uh, Rey Mysterio, and Great Khali, Chris Jericho too. But I, I guess I didn't really know that Great Khali was going to be on the show. But he, where do you see Great Khali? Look at the left, uh, second. Oh, yep, second there he is. Bottom. There he is, right next to Jericho. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's a, it's intriguing intriguing thing especially because it's almost all people that were on the roster previously uh i don't see any of the the new talent call-ups you know i don't see drew mcintyre i don't well, see lashley's on here but he's not an nxt call-up well, that's a good point lashley is on here he's probably the only one though it's not like you see anyone else that i'm familiar with mm, as far as nxt call-ups there's no drew mcintyre on here i don't think uh, who else was called up recently? Uh, oh, Authors oh, of Pain. Oh, wait, no, there's no women here anyway. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> Authors of Pain, um, No Way Jose. Uh, yeah. But, but anyways, um, so we were just talking about all the different things. We, we've, we've talked, of course, a ton about Saudi Arabia and the debate over whether or not they are talking out of both sides of their mouth by – spending so much effort and energy on women empowerment and then clearly doing a show where they're taking millions and millions of dollars and it's got to be going to be a gender heavy show do you realize that what do you mean oh because what we're talking about well we're going to talk about saudi arabia and how there's no uh, women uh being on this you know allowed on this show or much less even brought to the country and we're going to talk later about i think on on this show or on the patreon uh, edition we're going to talk about demographics and yeah yeah, whether or not uh, the the female audience at least the traditional television uh female audience for w has increased or not yeah and there'll be Um, some on who's a draw and not a draw on the other board yep yeah and and needham made a a a comment in their report about uh Women, yeah. Report for W stock about the TAM, the total available market, which I which I thought was very questionable. But yeah, yeah. No, I agree with that. I, I agree as well. But so, um, of course, no women coming to the show. They were very clear about that. They're making a lot of money on this show. I'm thinking because a you can tell from the ticket pricing, there's just not going to be. It's not pay per view level ticket pricing. It's not even international ticket pricing. And so, the fact that I, they have a pay per view the, the following week after this. Mm-hmm. And um, look it's at unlike- the talent that they made. They're bringing. They're bringing in everybody. This is like all hands on deck. This is well, like WrestleMania. To, they would occasionally do this when they had those UK pay per views that they promised to do back in the nineties, where they would do a UK pay per view and then very quickly have to bring everybody back to Raw on Monday, and they would have to do a pay per view sometimes even the next week. But those were rare, and those were you know that was fifteen twenty years ago. And nowadays they're a little bit more judicious about that. Uh, they don't bring a guy like Brock Lesnar over to Saudi Arabia to work a show unless they've basically been handcuffed into doing it. Yeah, I mean, it, all, it, all the part-timers are here. Undertaker, too, yeah. Rey Mysterio. Undertaker, Triple H, Brock Lesnar. Uh, yeah. Even Kurt Angle is, is advertised on this graphic as if he's going to be in action. Yeah, so it says something about how much it is. Um, some really good feedback on the Voices of Wrestling board. And, of course, Voices of Wrestling is a proud uh, supporter of and WrestleMania distributor. Radio distributor we're part of the voices wrestling audio network we've always been part of the voices wrestling audio network um so we congratulations to joel angela who got uh, married the other day i i I was so amused to see his nickname tinder mahal Uh, i was 
<laughs> what a guy. What a guy. Yes, congratulations, Dr. Lanza, king of banter. Um, there was a guy on the uh, VOW board, or a woman. I don't know if it's a guy or a woman. I'm going to assume it's a guy. But um, Dan Wonka, who was just talking about the, the seat layout for the show here and just making it really clo- clear that um, – and this was talked about on Observer Radio as well. They're basically putting all the families with the women, the children, the men with the women, of course – all near the ring so that when you watch it on television, you'll immediately get the impression like, oh, women are here at this event. It's it's not repressive Saudi Arabia. It's women are attending the show. Look at all of them. And in fact, what they're then doing is they're putting all the single men way up in the other area. Um, they're very strict about you, – you can kind of buy tickets in sections, but you can't actually buy a seat ticket. So it's not really clear how it's going to work out. And then I know when I was looking at the uh, website about it, they also mentioned that they were going to stop online sales the day before. And so they'll continue selling tickets, but then it would be kind of more walk up. So I wouldn't be surprised if some single men can get tickets that might even be better than the tickets you could get online later on um, by doing the walk up. But the flip of it is going to be they are very big about segregating spaces like this is a huge deal to Saudi Arabia all the time, whether it's a Starbucks, a department store, a mall, uh, having a family area and then kind of that like non family area where it's just going to be the men. And so I, I can't see them putting these single men near that family area. So it's going to have to be that the family area is just the family area. And the big takeaway I got here is that uh – if you're a, a woman or a group of women who want to go to the show, you can't unless you've got a, a male guardian. Yes. Yeah, I, I would imagine it would be. So when WWE responded to Bix and said, oh, yeah, w- women are going to be allowed to go to the show, they're allowed to go to the show if they have a male guardian. Well, what, let's see what WWE's response to me was um, uh, about Vision 2030 and all that. What did they exactly write to me? Because uh, I, I, I'm curious, not that I really think that you know we're going to get into this com- the s- semantics of exactly what they said. Said female female superstars will not perform at the show. Female fans will attend. In addition, I assume you're familiar with slash have seen articles about the country's vision 2030. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That was it. That was that was all they told me on March 25th. But and, so so they would argue that, that that is true. Female fans will be there. It didn't say all female fans would be allowed to come. It just said female fans will be there. Yeah. Uh, they say in that statement, too, it says there, there will be no f- female superstars this year. Like the, the, that, that term this year is in there, right? Nope. Nope. No? Nope. Okay. Nope. It just says female superstars will not perform at the show. Maybe maybe Bix's said something different. Yeah. I think, yeah. I, I'll, though I'll, it's I'll been more that people have kind of said to me, don't you think over time it will change? Don't should shouldn't you not rake them over hot coals? Because sure, certainly it will change over time. And I would always say, you know, seeing is believing. So uh, it is a ten-year deal, but yeah, yeah, it's a ten-year deal, and the country's going to do what the country wants to do every one of those years. And WWE will take their money. And I strongly doubt WWE is going to whack the hornet's nest and just upset this sponsor. Um, unless they themselves basically get raked over the coals in the American press in a heavy, heavy way. And either Stephanie or Michelle Wilson is put in a position where someone really says to them, do you feel it is 
you know, a contradiction for your company to be so closely associated with this regime, taking their money and running a show based on their cultural norms in their country. Um, are you comfortable with that? What what makes you comfortable with that? And the reality is, you know, it would be <laughs> there would be chaos if they tried to just run a show, not the way they try to run shows now. There would be a lot of chaos there. I, I don't doubt that for a second. But then you can make the argument that maybe you shouldn't be doing shows there. Yeah, uh, Bix's tweet from 25th of March, uh, where he's, he's quote-tweeting uh, something from me. He's, he's, this is a statement he got from WWE. Women and children are allowed to attend. Female WWE superstars will not be performing at this year's event. End quote. That's from WWE. Yeah, I think it's too much to read into whether they're really expecting a change. It's It's clearly a cultural norm that they're going to have to go against, not a, okay, we're going to do it this year, and then next year we're going to do this. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I see it as this is a company taking it a year at a time, and unless there's brand-new leadership, nothing's going to change in terms of their willingness to basically bend the, the norms of the country they're in, regardless of whether that is the right message to do, whether it contradicts them or anything else. Money talks, and it always has talked in wrestling. People have long been willing to go against uh, – what might be the right thing to do in in an excuse to get money you know by, think by of all the people, people you mean wrestling people especially i think because i think well, this is I not a wrestling company businesses, if this was most some other sport like we talked about if the, the nfl was in this position they're not doing it it would depend on how much money was going to them but no they probably wouldn't do it I think that's the difference is that the NFL is so many more billions of dollars larger than WWE. It's tough to say that that this money would sway them because they would do the calculus and say it's we're too risk averse for that. But let's say like men's lacrosse, if they were offered all this money, would they do it or not? You know, I don't know if they would have such a high horse. Yeah, I don't know. We'd have to talk to the people at the uh, Lacrosseonomics podcast. Well, the NLB, they, uh, I. I think it's NLB. <laughs> I met the guy who does all the stats for them at uh, the sports economics conference I went to. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty interesting. Talked about how he he literally watched all the videos to then do all the like data mapping and the heat mapping about where to put where people take shots on goal and and all wow. the other strategy stuff. It's insane how much work he had put into it. Uh, but yeah. Um, so it's it's interesting, but yeah, as was pointed out, the upper section is about a three dollar ticket. The lower section was about a six dollar ticket. The gold section, which is just for families, is about a twenty one dollar ticket, and the VIP section, which was families, had some refreshments included, and I think some meet and greet, is about eighty bucks. So eighty bucks is is nothing. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, Abu Dhabi, they did a show, and I swear I, I would have to find the the stat but it was a, another paid show and i swear that they said the average ticket price for the international um show at the time was 161 dollars because of the value of what a sold show ticket was divided by the number of people there mm -hmm. uh, so abu dhabi probably has a stronger economy than Jeddah, saudi arabia um i think it has more expat and more more entertainment op options for sure um, but again, both of them are sold shows. So I'm saying it, it, in what will probably come out is more that a sold show. Just keep in mind right now, the top ticket was 80 bucks. And yet when we see what the average international ticket price was for Q2, it will probably be way, way, way higher and skewed by the fact that this, this show is probably more than 50% subsidized. And how does this get calculated into those 
numbers that we see that W itself reports, like averaged international ticket price, even if this is a bought show. That- That's what I'm saying is a couple of years ago when they did it for like Abu Dhabi, I swear it was way high. And mm-hmm. they basically said it was a sold show, but it was super high. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I mean, they, they just not selling the ticket, presumably. No, but I think what they do is they take the, the live uh, they take basically the money they made on the show divided by the number of fans. And then they give that number out. Sometimes they just put a star in or just say N.A., just say we only sold shows this quarter. It doesn't matter. You know, it seems but like they also have calculated, the- right? Because if, if I'm looking at a metric called international average ticket price, I'm trying to think of like, OK, WWE selling their tickets at, at, at this price and something like this is going to skew it. it. It doesn't really reflect the economic demand for WWE tickets. Yeah, you'd think it would be wrong for them to say include the WrestleMania ticket price in the middle of their domestic ticket average. Well, but they at do. Least that, but but WWE <laughs> itself is selling that ticket. Yeah, but but I just mean there, there's lots of times that numbers are skewed, and that's why you always have to take it with a grain of salt and look and dig deeper. Is is it, it's? I don't think it's nefarious because you could still make the argument WWE made this live event money by going to this country and running a show. That's completely legitimate. Only time it would be very illegitimate is if it was being like, you know, at the county fair and they're counting 50,000 people because they were there at the county fair already. That's when it gets really fuzzy to me. Yeah. So it, it's I think it's cleaner than a lot of things that that I've seen economic reporting doing. And most of the time they, they do call out. We did a sold show at this place. And in fact, a lot of these Middle Eastern shows have not drawn that great. Uh, there's at least one of them in the Middle East one year where they went in, in Q1 and they did terrible. It was like 2,000 or 4,000 people um, at the show. And then they just basically said, but this was a bot show, so please don't worry about it. And, you know, it, it was in the KPIs that that quarter is is how I remember it sticking out really badly. But that's going to happen. I mean, for the most part, what what's interesting about it is that if you're a fan like you and I, we use it to try to say it's a good proxy to see the interest level that people have in wrestling. And when they don't sell out shows consistently, that's a sign that they're either overpricing the tickets, they have the wrong talent they brought to those countries, or they're just not hot. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, th- this quarter is going to be really all over the place because they just did a show in South Africa uh, last week, um, weekend. They just, you know, they have the European stuff they're doing. There's going to be a ton of international shows. So we'll be very curious to see how much we can break out of what's happening in the Middle East. But I, again, I think it will come from the region uh, summary by the the by brand by region um, revenue stuff to, at the very least for us to get an estimate it. And I think they'll have to talk about it in some way that will make it clear. And again, we won't know until August ish. Um, we're still about four weeks away from when we're going to get the Q1 results, if I'm not mistaken. Right. May 3rd is the Q1 and Q2. Oh, so I guess only about only about two weeks away then. Yeah, Q- Q2, I'm guessing, is going to be July 26th. Okay, they I I do think they said August in that call, but they might not have really known what date they were going to announce. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so that that's the latest on Saudi Arabia. Uh, interesting to see Rusev is back in the casket match with Undertaker. They just actually like resurrected that. Remember last week I I pointed us to like a cached version of the uh, announcement. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just resurrected the announcement. It's back on the corporate site, as if nothing ever changed. No, nothing ever happened here. Something Isn't that weird? Yeah. So then this is what, does Vince McMahon change his mind? And what's so strange about it is it, it's the original announcement. It's the one from 411, just they sent it back up again, as opposed to they didn't re-release something, whatever. Um, 
there was a time though that they announced it was gonna be Chris Jericho in the casket match, right? It was I think a formal announcement they did the next day. Yeah, or at least I, I looked at the what is it, W dot S A where they have all the, the advertisement materials for this show, and uh, there was a graphic that showed Undertaker's face and Chris Jericho's face, but then the text said Undertaker versus Rusev. Interesting. Okay. That's that's intriguing. That was last week. I don't know. We can look at it like right now, what it says right now. Yeah, I'm looking right now to see. Yeah, it shows Undertaker-Rusev again, um, and then the other matches that we've already announced. Um, I'm trying to see if on here they have the uh, that graphic that you – you kind of quote tweeted and put it in the document here. I don't see it. It's back to just the talent that we saw previously. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an intriguing thing. Uh, it will be interesting to see how it kind of plays out as more and more people notice that this event is happening. I think it's going to be mostly ignored to be really honest is, is I think, you know, the opportunity for outrage kind of came and went and, and you know, they, they weathered it. Uh, it is intriguing that they're doing a, another tryout. I guess it's a four-day tryout, according to this uh, press release here. It's going to be in Jeddah at the King Abdullah Sports City Hall. They said, quote, We'll give more than 25 athletes from Saudi Arabia the opportunity to showcase their abilities with the goal of being selected to start training at the WWE Performance Center. And the talent pool will comprise of elite performers with diverse backgrounds in sport th- sports and athletics, including soccer, powerlifting, volleyball, boxing, jiu-jitsu, gymnastics, CrossFit, Taekwondo. And then the very last paragraph on this thing um, it says, the Jedi tryout, Jedi, Jedi, Jedi tryout mm-hmm. is the latest example of WWE's global talent recruiting efforts. In recent years, WWE has scouted rugby and soccer players from Europe, Kabaddi and Kushti athletes from India, and martial artists and boxers from China. In 2017, WWE held a tryout in Dubai, which resulted in the first Arab female, the first Kuwaiti man, and the first Indian woman to sign with the WWE. And I I just thought this was interesting because, to me, this seems like it's basically promising we're going to sign someone from Saudi Arabia. And in fact, I wouldn't even be surprised if there was a little bit of pressure from the people sponsoring the show. If the whole point of this is about, you know, make Saudi Arabia look good, can't you see them almost being like, we have so many great athletes here. I'm sure one of them is good enough for your performance center. And WWE being like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they have big plans for this area. But I could also see that they might feel a little bit pressured, like, you know, the host country basically wants you to hire someone from their country so that they can brag about it. Uh, yeah, I would expect that. There's been some video uh, I've seen. The trials are happening right now as we record this. Uh, there's some video of Matt Bloom, you know, working out all these these people who are taking the tryout. All men, of course. Um, I'm looking through this uh, Greatest Royal Rumble website that they have up. Again, you can find this at www.sa. And there's an FAQ section. Uh, one of the questions is, are men allowed to enter the family section with children? The answer is, if your children are 12 and under, men can enter the family section. So, hmm. Yeah, I don't even know if I understand that question. <laughs> I guess, a weird... like, if you're, I guess, I think it's asking, like, if, so if, if I'm, if I'm a father who's bringing my kids, can I enter the family section? Yeah, I guess, I guess if women? I have a 50, if it's just, if I'm a man and I have a 15 year old son, I cannot go sit in the family section. Yeah. But if I have a. 11 year old son i can sit in the family section is what i'm taking that away to be yeah but yeah i mean it's one show it's it's going to be on at noon next week a lot of people are going to watch it's clear 
uh, that you know they've poured a ton of money into this. I heard um, Big John Gerborik is done with TNA and he's sitting over in uh, he he's already like doing pre work for them over in Saudi Arabia right now. Really. Um, but we were talking about what would so it's interesting with this list of stars of people on here. Of course, you know Brock is on and the big stars like Cena and Triple H and Undertaker. Um, Jinder does have a singles match. Uh, it looks like Mustafa Ali will now have a a, uh, a match as part of the cruiserweight match, right? For uh, that's what you told me. I haven't seen that advertised yet myself, but I, I I believe it. I don't know. I would think I would think that was happening. Maybe I'm wrong. Again, at this but, like, they they had some matches advertised: Jeff Hardy versus Jinder Mahal with Sunil Singh. Because at the end, on that that announcement on the 17th, mentions there will have two other championship matches: the mm-hmm. WWE Championship and the Cruiserweight Championship. Mm-hmm. And the Cruiserweight Championship, as far as I know, is Cedric Alexander versus Mustafa Ali, based on what was happening on 205 Live. Mm-hmm. So, because Buddy Murphy failed to uh, to make weight and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you're just talking about you know other people. Interesting that they're not more heavily featured. So the first one was Sami Zayn. Um, of Syrian descent, uh, and well, I, so I, I wasn't, but that's, that was some of the feedback. I think on the on the Voices of Wrestling board that we got. Yeah, you're right. It, it might not have been you directly, but I was just saying yes, that is interesting because Sami Zayn has shown that he can speak Arabic. Um, has done a lot of fundraising for Syrian uh, charity stuff mm-hmm. uh, the last year here, and is, and of course has Arabic on his tights. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been you know he's Canadian, much like Jinder. But that's in, in, interesting to see, you know, that they haven't done something bigger with that. And then the other one you mentioned, which I was completely not even thinking about, was Mojo Raleigh. Yeah. Uh, Mojo Raleigh, whose real name is Dean Mut- Mutati, I think. Anyway, he did a promo last year at the uh, Saudi Arabia show where he was he must have been t- teaming with Zack Ryder. And at the, at the end of the at the end of their match, he got the microphone and he uh, he did this big rally promo i couldn't understand what he was saying but he's speaking arabic um so apparently he has a uh, some some uh arabian family I don't, I don't know if it's saudi arabia or, or what but uh, uh enough that he can do a big speech in arabic and he got he got a, a nice reaction from the crowd you can you can find this there's a link to it in the doc of the uh, youtube video of him doing this promo in saudi arabia yeah and i thought um I thought that there was a a uh, explanation of where his family's from, beyond just saying that yeah he his his family his heritage is Middle Eastern, but um mm-hmm. I don't know exactly where he's from. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, but yeah, that that's just another person that you would have thought oh they would make a bigger deal about this mm-hmm. about it, and uh, doesn't seem like they are. So be intriguing to see if he does do uh, and has an opportunity to do a promo at some point during this. Actually, you know who else is featured on this Greater Royals from the Greatest Royal Rumble uh, poster here? Who? Mark Henry. Oh, really? You mean yeah. retired W Hall of Famer Mark Henry? Yeah. Same with uh, I don't see Big Show though, do I? Uh, yes, right above Rey Mysterio. Okay, so Big Show. Oh yeah, the uh, so but but yeah. Mark Henry. I just wow. thought that was intriguing. But I get Kurt Angle, retired Hall of Famer as well. <laughs> um. Anything else to say about Saudi Arabia this time? I know we talk about it every week. Next week the show will be over. We'll talk about it uh, in a in the past tense. But uh, yeah, will we be doing a live post show from Saudi Arabia? I don't think so. No, that'll that'll be for one hundred dollar Patreon subscribers. <laughs> that'll be for people who want to pay me to not be at work. So I don't know if that will be happening. Oh, okay. Um, 
interesting story by Variety about this ESPN Fox Sports team up for the UFC TV rights bid uh, that broke on basically what date was this? This was breaking on April 17th. And intriguing kind of idea that they're saying, which is that uh, two different uh, TV networks are basically proposing to split the UFC package to bring as many as 15 fight events to the new subscription service on ESPN Plus, and that ESPN would then pay somewhere between, say, $120 and $180 million a year. And then Fox, which currently pays about $120 million for all of the UFC rights, would increase that number to maybe $200 million, but would be splitting the content between them and ESPN. And uh, ESPN Plus, we talked about it uh, a few weeks ago uh, that you know it was coming down the pike, and it launched last week, four ninety nine a month, has a mix of content including select games from N- MLB, NHL, and out of market MLS. Um, but it struggled because a lot of the digital rights they have for television are not the they don't have the digital rights for it. Mm-hmm. And one of the big reasons that ABC did such a big, you know, Disney did such a big bid for all the Fox Sports stuff was basically so they could get a punch to those regional networks and then try to go through and renegotiate a lot of those deals to maybe get them on the streaming service or help them out for the way that they could build up their sports uh, live broadcast fees. Mm-hmm. But it's intriguing, this idea of splitting it with ESPN. Um, I, I think it's a really smart bid. In the sense that uh, it's it's a good way of kind of having both players limit their exposure and at the same time kind of keep some of that uh, bidding between two partner you know people from from skyrocketing so that no no one person is being forced to pay three hundred four hundred million dollars the way that UFC wants and yet um, it also kind of reduces the number of potential bidders in the game and. For for UFC, it's not total lose lose. You know, it, it does give you a very wide coverage audience. The challenge, of course, will be what happens to Fight Pass. How does Fight Pass and ESPN? How does that square out? Because uh, UFC just spent a bunch of money, their parent company buying basically the the backbone for Fight Pass. The company that was doing it was it New Lion, I think they were called. And so it, it's intriguing to see kind of how that's working out, and it also suggests you know kind of some hesitancy, I think. That no one is saying, I want to go all in on UFC rights because, truth be told, UFC uh, viewership has not been stellar, uh, especially in the last few years here. And that we've seen a lot of their quote-unquote top stars either retire or have legal issues or doping issues or just or decide to stay out. Or windows or whatever. Yeah, or decide to stay out of the, the pool for another reason or what. So it, it's been tough for them. But as, as people have pointed out, I think Dave said the other day – Yes, UFC might have half the ratings of WWE, but they have three times the advertising value. Mm-hmm. And that's the key is that that's why people are willing to pay so much, you know, 300 plus million for uh, UFC rights, even at half the rates, because that's still considered a bargain to what you would pay for WWE rights and the advertising value that that today cut carries. And that's why I always argue that WWE's leaving money on the table, because I think a lot of that disparity is self-inflicted on WWE's part. But but anyway, this this one uh, note that we got from the uh, this Variety article, Fox, which currently pays 200 Fox was currently pays $120 million per year for UFC rights, would be willing to see that number increase a, a little more, uh, excuse me, to a little more than 200 But they're going to be splitting it, in, in hypothetically, with ESPN+. Plus. So are, are, am I reading this right? Fox would be willing to pay uh, more for UFC's rights, but for less of the content? Yes. Yep. And I think that's because they know that they're at risk of just losing all of it. 
and you know for for what they want to do with it which is you know continue to prop up fox sports one continue to get some coverage on fox um continue to be a major player they're they're a very cash rich company because so, so to try to of, imagine like what this would look like uh so there's what fight night right on uh the beyond on fs1 most often and occasionally they'll do uh cards on fox broadcast network itself so it'd be like say me half the fight nights would be taken off of fs1 and, and put on espn plus for their for the same amount of money that they were offering previously probably but i keep in mind that that 120 million they that they signed that deal i think it was a seven-year deal right so I mean they they're killing it in terms of they 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 know they underpaid. But my point for, is there was apparently some negotiations earlier where they were offered two hundred million dollars for X amount of content, and now here we're saying we're going to give you half of that. Con- we'll we'll take half of that content, give the other half of it to ESPN Plus, and we'll still give you as much money as we offered you previously, the two hundred million dollars. Which speaks to how much value their advertising must be worth. I mean, again, whenever the incumbent is willing to do that, they're either coming from a place of fear which is if I lose this brand, it's going to really hurt the value of my station. Or they're coming from a place of economics saying, I know exactly what the value is of UFC advertising, right? I, I have the P&L right in front of me. And so for them, they can say, I can still make a profit on this company, even if they only give me this many shows, um, just because of the rising, you know, again, ad rates are going up year over year in general, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge has been in some of these stations, they also have worked on trying to reduce the number of minutes that are, are committed to advertising. And that'll be interesting to see whether or not that also helps drive ad rates up. Is that, you know, basically if they say we have less inventory to sell on this stuff, will that kind of create a bidding war among the, the remaining players? Uh, and, and, and an attempt to, of course, to retain the eyeballs better. So I, I think it's a I think it's a really smart move by them, and I think it also signals that Fox is is willing to be judicious in what it's bidding, but not to be um, not to get played, right? Because everybody's afraid of being the one person who who goes out there and says, "I'll give you three hundred million," and then suddenly realizing everyone else only said two hundred as their cap, or one hundred and fifty, or one hundred and eighty. So you know this is a good way of kind of limiting your exposure, and then of course. You know, you have some leverage with them because you've made it really clear to to UFC what are you willing to basically offer, um, and so Fox said we'll give you two hundred million, and and they were able to basically come up with a deal that might be a little bit more sweet to them, saying we'll do it along with somebody else. But at the same time, they're taking another bidder out of the game, and I think that's of huge value to them because in, instead of having to go to two hundred and jump up to two fifty or three hundred, now they're able to to keep it really with one less major player in the game because ESPN has presumably made a bit as well yeah yeah i mean i'm assuming it's actually a dual bid mm-hmm. is that basically both of them have made an agreement that, that they're submitting it together no what i'm saying is has espn made a bid for the exclusive rights to ufc i don't think so i'm saying i i'm thinking espn's only bid is this dual bid that they're making okay but it, yeah. the, the benefit hypothetically would be that okay instead of getting 200 or 250 million dollars just from Fox for exclusive rights, you're, you're gonna we're gonna let ESPN in on this for 120 to 180 million, so you'll get a, a total of like what would that be, 320 to 380 million dollars. Well, I think I think the key is that previously Fox came and said we'll give you 200 million, and UFC rebuffed them. Right. So now instead of Fox having to come back and say okay now we'll give you 250, okay now we'll give you 300, instead of they having to drive it up and compete against ESPN. Both of them work together. Fox still says, I'm still getting the $200 million I, I budgeted for. Mm-hmm. Yes, I might have less content, but if anything, 
I have this wrestling program that I want to start pushing that maybe, you know, is going to fill a lot of my inventory spots. Uh, and so, and I know that it's going to still be profitable to me. And that 200 million, I think was very much them trying to give a bid out that said, uh, we don't think you're $400 million. I don't think they ever intended to walk away at $200 million. Mm -hmm. I think their, their calculation always was if we push hard on 200 million, we'll signal to the marketplace. Don't overpay right now so that we have to get into a bidding war. And this ESPN Plus, this would be programming. So say there's a UFC show on ESPN Plus on some night. That's only going to be available on that subscription service, not on any traditional linear ESPN channel like ESPN or ESPN2. That's the thought, I think, is that that a lot of it, it would be moving to that. I mean, again, we haven't seen all the details, and that's going to be what's going to cause confusion in the marketplace because there's going to be more and more people saying, what exactly is my value of my fight pass? Right. Now, does this suggest maybe in some world ESPN would say, hey, can I go buy that fight pass from you? Mm-hmm. I need a bunch of, you know, I'm, I'm desperate for digital content. I'm desperate for uh, an ability for me to leverage what I have. And so I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, ESPN Plus is out there, like I said, on the prowl. Like for a while there, I said, I thought ESPN Plus might be the sort of person to go to Flow Sports and say, hey, can I buy your service and your library and your digital rights? Because that's a hell of a lot cheaper than me having to go negotiate with everyone else, especially with the name ESPN Plus, where everyone's going to assume I have infinite pockets. Mm hmm. So I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if ESPN Plus has to go into some kind of acquisition mode to, you know, kind of fill out their content offering here. Uh, I haven't heard how they're doing in their launch yet. I don't know if any of those numbers are out, but that would be another one for us to really track. Well, they just is, launched last week. It's it's a four ninety nine per month service. With yeah, but I mean, we don't have a mix of content, including select games from the MLB, NHL and out of market MSL games or MLS games. Excuse me. Yes. But I'm not sure about, you know, whether we're talking they're going to beat Fight Pass in year one or not. That would be kind of where I'd be curious. And again, which Fight Pass number are we talking about? Because obviously you and I had done the math on, on the, the Super Sur- subscriber show yeah, the other what, day. What number did we get? Oh, you're asking hard questions here. Let's see. It was on WrestleMomics. I'm going to type in Fight Pass into my... Uh, document here mm-hmm. looks like maybe WrestleNomics episode 42 because i got some absurd number like over a million and, and you had to you had to give remind you that there's you need to divide that by 12 yeah so uh the implication was that they had four hundred thousand subs but when we actually saw their revenue number that they they presented on 2016 they indicated that they only were making between um you know maybe 11 and a half and 16 million dollars on fight pass Mm -hmm. and that would be a lot less that i estimated would be closer to about 125 to 150,000. that was in 2015 2016. so two years ago about yeah so 150,000 yeah so about 150 two years ago and so to me to be at 400 seems a little bit high because there hasn't really been a lot of drivers to fight pass but so the fact also, like I said, somebody at, at Octagon, which is a WME, is not the WME UFC sports agency. It's a completely different sports agency. Um, he he said Fight Pass already at less than 400,000K subs, which has two typos in it. First of all, it's not 400,000K because you already put the thousands in there. Second, he used the less than symbol when a, I think he meant to say the greater than symbol. 
So I think for people to be reading into this and assuming that this means they do 400,000 people, I think that's a little uh, – uh, I, I think it's a questionable source to use. And that was the only source I've been able to find for that 400,000 number that well, started getting recorded. Well, I, I would agree that they have less than 400 million subscribers. Yes, I would also agree with that. Not even HBO Go, as as we uh, discussed on right. your Twitter the other uh, day, has that many. Right, Recode put out an article listing what all these subscriber services have. Um, yeah, we should mention this one. That was a good one. So HBO was at 142 million. Yeah. Uh, Netflix was at 125 million. Uh, Amazon Prime was about 100 million. Spotify was about 71 million. Though, wasn't there talk about Spotify combining with... Um, another service to offer kind of a combined offering on something i'm trying to think what that was spotify uh, is considering an ipo or i think has plans for an ipo they already did it they already did it there's a spot of wait yeah. spotify's out there really oh yeah go yeah, go, about, go on i'm going to adjust my portfolio it's like two weeks ago really? yeah oh. yeah um apple music at 40 million sirius xm at about 28 million hulu at 17 million pandora at five and a half new york times at about 3.6 oh. Tinder at three million, CBS All Access at two million, Movie Pass at two million, and then you have things like the WWE Network, which is probably about one point six five million. Oh yeah, you're right. Three um, percent. Yeah, yeah. No, the uh, the Spotify IPO was fascinating because they decided to forego all of the investment um, banks and instead do kind of an offering where they were just going to sell their employees' stock. Mm. And the employees wouldn't have a blackout period the way they normally do when you have a, an IPO. You could sell whatever you wanted. So it was very interesting the way they ran it. And there, a lot of people were talking about how this could really shake up the entire realm of, of you know large company IPOs mm-hmm. going forward if this was successful. And the biggest fear was when you normally do an IPO, and I listened to a great Planet Money episode about this, uh, when you normally do an IPO, one of the things you're basically buying by going through the investment bank and basically pre-selling a lot of this is that you're buying a lack of volatility in theory is that they basically are trying to make sure that you're, you won't see an enormous price plummet on your IPO by the way it's being sold out here because so many people kind of know what's happening before it even goes to market. And in this case, you, there was a huge risk of that kind of volatility. So what are we seeing on the Spotify Let's go to finance.google.com. Go to Spotify. Ooh, finance is, has become terrible recently. Like it, it yeah, I do not care for it. It doesn't. But you can see the, uh, it's, it's, the graphs aren't as versatile as they used to be. Yeah, so you can see it opened on April second at about one hundred and thirty-two dollars, and it's already trading up here about one hundred and fifty-five dollars. So it is. Um, it's it's doing decently, and it's uh, uh certainly hasn't fallen to pieces. Uh, if anything, you know the the initial price was much more stable than people thought it was going to be. Yeah. So, uh, I think it was something that made a lot of people very sad uh, in the investment community. Or, I'm sorry, in the investment bank community, that essentially they're they're teaching people that maybe there's going to be a lot more ways to do runarounds or end runs versus where it was hmm. end runs, but not end run. Hopefully, no. Are, are you a Spotify subscriber? I think my wife is, to be honest. Yeah, you'd think you'd think that would then make me a Spotify subscriber, but I I listen to a remarkable little amount of music of music yeah. these days. Yeah. But I do. I just finished a t- fantastic um, uh, series on Audible, mm. and so if you're an Amazon Prime um, subscriber, you do get certain Audible things for free. Mm-hmm. And included in that is, of course, all of the news articles that you can listen to from the Wall Street Journal, from the New York Times and the Washington Post, which I highly recommend. But there's a a series on Audible called West Cork, 
And so if you're a fan of serial or um, cases like that, it's a really good um, true crime story about a uh, French woman who was was murdered in West Cork back in 1997, I think. And basically the entire 20 year saga of of the uh, the who done it from that and who was accused and so forth. It's really well done. So it's about a 13 part series. And so I just finished listening to that yesterday, in fact. So that's what I listened to. So uh, let's talk about these investor uh, analyses. So we looked at two of them recently that came out. One was from JP Morgan. One was from Needham. And uh, both of them had some interesting comments in them. Uh, did you get a chance to read the JP Morgan one? I just looked over it before we started recording. Yeah, I, I read it uh, with, with some comprehension. Mm-hmm. It, well, and what you might notice now is this is probably the sixth or seventh or maybe even eighth or tenth one of these kind of analysis that I've had you look over before. Um, actually, there's a new BTIG one out there, too, oh, that we really? should have looked at. I, I totally forgot to mention that to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a new BTIG one where, of course, get this, they're really hot on the from, stock. From New Media Brandon? Yeah, from New Media Brandon. He's big into it. So there is a new BTIG. So maybe um, maybe even uh, I, at some I, point I like here. We'll... I like smart Brandon, too. He's good. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> but uh, JP Morgan, uh, interesting story here is that they downgraded their their view for what the stock price is. And of course, that's that's the biggest part about this is that I read these analyses oftentimes to say, where do I think this business is going? And what do I think the rights fees they're going to get? Or what do I think the projections on the WWE network are? Or what is their take about the way that they're positioning themselves in the global economy? I don't know so much about the stock price. Because the stock price is based on all sorts of calculations and assumptions and gut feels that are coming from these investors. And so sometimes, even in this case, what's interesting with this JP Morgan one is they actually admit they're raising what they think the TV rights fees are going to be next uh in the next cycle for domestically and yet they're downgrading what they think the value of the stock is in terms of of going from uh i think a buy to a neutral position and so i thought that was really interesting that like it it kind of speaks to what i would say what's a good story which is what do i think is going to happen to their domestic rights versus what they think is the real story, which is what is the stock price on it. And of course, that's the only thing you can trade. You're not you're not able to trade on the TV rights fees beyond saying basically it's a plus or minus, right? So if you are convinced that they're going to come in at 200 million, I would definitely put a uh, – I, I would definitely expect the price of the stock to plummet. And if you think they're going to come in at 400 million, you should buy that stock now. Um, so – you you can range that TV deal to help you understand it. But when you're in that middle there, it gets really fuzzy because there is a lot of pushes and pulls. Um, and so the, the points in the JP Morgan one, I'll go through uh, what I found, and then you can talk a little bit about the Needham one when we get to that one. Uh, they were mentioning Fox. Fox might uh, just be using WWE to apply price pressure to the UFC, and this um, analysis was written prior to this deal discussion about with the joint bid with UFC. I'm sorry, with ESPN, but I feel like that's very similar kind of methodology and thinking, which is, you know, Fox, I think, is trying to be judicious of not going to UFC and saying, I'm going to give you $300 million. And another reason they're not doing that is then WWE would want the $300 million. So if if Fox can find a way to give a low bid to UFC, that's another way for them to also make sure that they don't signal WWE, hey, you should ask for $300 million. Um, and it notes that WWE might even agree to lower their offer from Fox to a lower offer from Fox in exchange for the increased reach of being, say, on Fox TV. Yeah. 
And I think that's an important point is, again, do you remember the three criteria that that George laid out in his talk to say what he wanted? Mm. Reach would be one of them. Uh, yeah, the the ability to reach new viewers was one of his big things. And in fact, uh, actually, no, that's the wrong conference. That's the one he did on May 22nd. Yeah, gosh, I wish I could find that list of things he was saying. But basically, he was saying he wants the revenue, but he wants the ability to reach new people. And he wants the ability to make sure that his people that are today watching can continue to watch. I believe those were his three big points. And, and with that, I took that to mean is that this is why he's not going to just do a Facebook gives me 300 million. I'm running to them mm-hmm. grab or even 250 because you know what? We probably would, would lose a lot of viewers if we just went pure Facebook. And this also might be why he would say, I don't want to go to complete old person. Say, you know, I don't want to go to FS2. I don't want to go take a big money offer and just be relegated to some corner of cable. CBS all access. Be- yeah, because it's just not going to be worth it to me to be there and know that I'm not going to reach any new people. Uh, and so instead, he was saying, you know, it, there's a value to us about reaching new audiences. And I think that's important with the Fox bit is I think that is a real tantalizing detail is that both from an advertising standpoint and from a um, uh, acquisition of, of new viewers standpoint, we don't know what Fox could offer to them. And I think that's tantalizing to think them. I got it. The, uh, the d- economics, obviously, but also, let me start from earlier. It's which speech was this? J.P. Morgan. You've got it open. I can see you in it. Um, the economics, obviously, but also, so by the economics, I think he means what they're going to pay us in a rights fee, but also the strength of their platform, how distributed they are, what's their reach. Um, do we think that there's a good fit with the brand because the cross promotion is important? So I think those are three things, cross-promotion, reach, and money. Hey, listeners, your bathroom called. It's time to give it the cleaning it deserves. Get rid of all that junk lying around. I'm talking those old deodorant, those empty toothpaste things, and especially all of those cheap, cheap razors that you bought from the discount store. It's time for you to freshen it up with some high-quality products from Dollar Shave Club. Members like me, we get everything we need for our morning routine delivered right to our door. That's right. And at dollarshaveclub.com, they deliver everything that you need to look, feel, and smell your best. Dollar Shave Club gives you more than just razors. Dollar Shave Club is better than shopping in any store, going to a local drugstore, going to the supermarket, trying to find the things you need. I get an amazing, high-quality shave every morning from Dollar Shave Club with this executive razor. It's the best razor I've ever used, Mookie. I love their shave butter it's dr carver shave butter it's fantastic because it goes on clear you can actually see where you're shaving and what's great about it is that dollar shave club has razors shave butter shampoo body wash toothpaste everything whatever you need to look smell and feel your best dollar shave club is the answer and since they deliver it to you you never have to go to the store so that means no more walking the aisles trying to convince somebody to unlock the case no more uh just going whenever there's a special or trying to find the cheapest razor there instead get what you really need get what you deserve it's all at dollar shave club you need to go and clean up your bathroom and clean up your morning routine join dollarshaveclub.com today it's just $5. With free shipping, you'll get the six-blade executive razor, plus you'll get trial sizes of the shave butter, the body cleanser, the one-wipe Charlies. Then keep the blades coming for just a few bucks more a month. Get yours at dollarshaveclub.com slash W-E. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash W-E. It's a WrestleNomics exclusive. That's how you can remember, slash W-E. 
And and you could make a very good argument that WWE and UFC would benefit some from having a little bit of cross promotion, mm-hmm. right? That if the UFC fans knew Ronda Rousey is now in WWE, mm-hmm. maybe you're going to be feeding into that and vice versa. You can probably help your UFC cards if if I actually had a clue what UFC was happening and it wasn't just well, from listening to the Wrestling Observer yeah, Radio. Well, I mean, you think of the – do we expect Brock Lesnar to fight in UFC sometime soon? Maybe Ronda yep. Rousey will have a UFC fight sometime in the next few years. Who knows? That's very true. That's very true. So WWE has the momentum at the right time is also what they wrote in this JP Morgan thing saying, quote, stable linear ratings, uh, which I'd agree with. Uh, key talent signings. They specifically called out Ronda Rousey and Brock Lesnar, which is interesting because we don't really know if Brock's deal is long term. But um, he did resign and then recent successful quote in our view show on facebook watch so uh they have the right momentum and then they said the expectation on the domestic right step up is about 1.8 x which would be 270 million versus the previous 1.7 x which is 255 i find i find this a little rich for me um for domestic rights i i would have thought we were at the 225 to 250 range you know but i think 270 is is a lot for WWE rights, especially if it's about possibly going to Fox and maybe even taking a little bit of a a discount in order to get a better platform. So I, I thought 270, this estimate from JP Morgan was a little rich in my mind. I'm still sticking closer to the kind of a 260, 250 range. And what do we think the, the number is that they're doing this math base, is based on uh, for from NBCU? Like what is their their number today? Yeah. Um, I mean, right now because that's 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 the algebra that I get here. One one point eight divided by uh, two seventy, or vice versa. One two seventy yeah. divided by one point eight is one fifty. Yeah, but but keep in mind that one fifty is AAV, which is average annual value. So over the five year contract, that's the midpoint. So we're well above that now. I think we're at one eighty or one ninety or something. But that, that's what the two seventy is based on. So, so really, yes. their first year—if if they got a two seventy deal, their first year wouldn't be worth two seventy; it'd be worth less than that. Much, much less. In fact, by the end, they it'd have be estimates. Worth more than that. Yeah, yeah, they have estimates in here of what they think TV rights are worth worldwide, and they note that in twenty eighteen, they they basically think they'll be about two ninety six, mm-hmm. and twenty nineteen, they think they'll be at three twenty five, and then twenty twenty, when this new deal is fully kicked in, they think they'll be at three ninety. What do we think escalating so, escalating rates are like five percent per year? Um. It has changed by country, um, and so I, I couldn't even tell you. Uh, I, I don't know if percentage is the best way to think about it. A lot of times I've seen it more like they're trying to evenly spread it out across the years. So if it's, say, 150 is the average, it'll go like 120, 140, 160, 180, 200, you know, that sort of thing. Um but it, it, I haven't seen it so much. It would be more like $20 million a year. But then I've seen other deals like uh, I think the Canada deal is very flat where it will be like three years at one number, three years at another number. Or the India deal was like very backloaded where it seemed like the very last year had a big increase versus the UK was very, very linear. So so I can't say for sure what the escalation is. I think that's one reason they just kind of try to kind of think of it as a five-year deal. And of course, they always have the opportunity to make a little bit more, a little bit less depending on um, all these other markets that aren't part of this deal, plus all the peripheral shows. This does not include Miz and Maurice. This does not include Tough Enough coming back or leaving. does not include Total Divas or Total Bellas. You know, it's it's a different situation there. And they said in the new reporting they're going to break that out much better. 
Um, so yeah, they actually think the domestic number is going to go up to about 1.8 instead of 1.7. I'm still sitting much closer to that 1.6, 1.7. Um, data points in the UK and the in India though have been very mixed, and this is something that you and I have talked about a lot. We talked about with Will Cooling. Um, I'm beginning to think that this J.P. Morgan analyst might be my new favorite kind of out there analyst because I feel like he's he's someone who's actually listening to some of these undercurrents about what's happening in the marketplace and understanding that, yeah, there are some negative factors happening here and we should put them in. Like, you know, in the U.K., like they pointed out, EPL, English Premier League rights um, from 19 to 2021 was down almost 13 percent from the previous deal. Uh, the competition from digital platforms with Amazon and tennis in in some ways have been a little bit overblown. Um, and we talked about that a lot about that with Will about, you know, this was a really specific reason that they were trying to get this one tennis tournament and it was sticking their toe in the water and it was for a, a British holiday. It's not the same. It would be like trying to get like a Super Bowl party or something. It would might be a better analogous version of what what they were trying to do, which would be different than saying I want to go get, you know, CFL rights. Um, and then they said that they're still thinking that the UK is going to get about a one and a half times uh, step up for WWE in the UK um, versus their current average annual value of about $30 million. And that's fascinating because what you and I and Will talked about was that the competition in um, the UK is way down when it comes to bidding on sports rights. And the reason it went way through the roof a few years ago is not the same circumstances as this upcoming renewal between what is it b sky b and and bt or whatever the other competitor is itv itv no i think it's i think it's bt um or sony or we're we're butchering it now in the uk but just the point the point here being that wwe has been relegated to this weird sub channel has not really been growing their ratings there and it's pretty clear that their current partner bt yeah i was right um, that they really haven't been growing their ratings. In fact, their ratings, if anything, have probably been plummeting over the last five years. And that it's just hard to say that whether WWE is really going to find a fertile audience that really wants to pay a lot of money for that marketplace. So I think one and a half, in my mind, is still a little rich. So I would probably go lower than one and a half if I'm an over-under on this. Um, India, really confusing uh, marketplace really growing really fast really sporadic players sometimes um, consumption of you know one media company buying another one so sony is their current partner but that's not who they started with because uh, sony bought the company that they were working with ztv um and they were just mentioning that star india beat sony when they were bidding on the cricket rights which ended up with a 1.6x increase for the bcci and that star india already has the ipl rights and so there's a fear that basically you're going to have less bidders in the game so Star India might not want to put all that money going against WWE because they've already spent a whole lot of money and they won. And essentially, you know, at that point, maybe they'll just be happy to let Sony keep it. And uh, Sony will know this and they will realize they don't have to bid as high. They were saying that they still um, they took down their estimate for India from 2x to 1.75x. And as I pointed out, India well could have a higher dollar value contract than uk when it's all said and done based on basically where india is proposed to end up in the end of this deal um and and when we get into needham we'll see that there were some more comments made about india 
as there always are at the uh, business partner summit. And so that I, I, I think very strongly that, um, India is an area that WWE is investing in heavily. And in some ways you can really contrast India and the UK in terms of it, it's the past and the present or the past and the future, because it seems like WWE is way more focused on trying to get India right than they are about trying to get UK right. Now I'm not saying they're giving up on the UK. UK is still their biggest marketplace outside of America. Uh, but it's pretty clear that they're not, you know, itching at itching have an itchy trigger finger when it comes to like pulling it on the WWE UK uh, brand or on really deciding a pay per view strategy that involves a UK thing or anything else. So uh, it'll be very intriguing uh, to see what happens here. They mentioned basically, like I said, the TV rights. Their estimates were 296 in 2018, 325 in 2019, and 2020 would be up to 390. About a 53 to 56% OBITA, kind of going up year over year. The network numbers they were estimating were about 211 for WWE Network this year, 220 for uh, 2019, and 230 for 2020. And that would be, in my mind, somewhere between saying they're going to have about 1.76 million this year, 1.84 million, and 1.91 million by 2020 if we didn't have tiering or some other kind of price change going on in the marketplace. Uh, I think that's a little aggressive in it's my mind. average subs over the uh, entire year. Yeah, yeah. And they're at and then, what, like and they're thinking and then the high 1.4s, right? Like 1.48 was, was the 2017 number, something like that. You'd have to yeah, check that number yeah. for me. That would be the annual report. Yeah. I'm not positive. But they're thinking that OBITA on that is maybe 34% to 38%. So better than half of TV rights, but still a lot less than TV rights. And I think that's the thing I always want to emphasize to people is that a TV number is more than a 50% profit, whereas the the network number is like a third profit. And so there's a big difference there in terms of a dollar is not a dollar. And so when people say, hey, why don't you just put it on the network? It's because it's not nearly as profitable as the TV rights are. Um, and then lastly, live events, kind of just looking at what they modeled, what the growth would be. And they said $164 million in 2018, $172 million in 2019, and $179 million in 2020. And that would be all sitting at about a 28 or 29% OBITA uh, percentage. I think – I think that's an area where maybe people are underestimating what WWE can do um, because something like this Saudi Arabia show, this is such an X factor in my mind about how many dollars they might have poured in to just buy this one show. And based on the amount of marketing that they're doing, it really says to me they might have poured quite a lot of money in. Still so, no, way, no word on who's on the cover of the uh, annual report. I checked despite, today. I despite checked. the, uh, the uh, shareholders meeting. I know I, I'm I'm tempted to email them and I'm also tempted not to be that guy. So if you want to be that guy or gal, please go ahead and email them and try to prod them into it. It's to me it's it's not worth making a big deal of it because uh it's it's a silly game is the reason I want this information. Their annual report is out. The only thing we're missing is the shareholders letter and the cover letter model. Music man himself. Average yeah. average paid subscribers actually one point five three million. Okay, so that's much more what I would have expected it to be. Um, the a little bit higher. If they're for two million, yeah, and so that's why th- when I calculated it out and got to about one point seven six, I thought that seemed high to me. Um, I think he's being a little too aggressive on what he thinks the WWE Network is. I think he's a little aggressive on thinking he can keep growing the um, the cost. Well, if, if they base, it, or, I think they can 
you know make a lot more money than well yes exactly and so that's my that's my whole thing is it's really hard for me to make a read on this about whether or not that's a reasonable number or not when we don't know what the tiering strategy is prices we don't know what the the content is yeah yeah and we don't know how many people will feel um feel orphaned by this and feel or how many will feel empowered you know whether there'll be some group of people that say I'm reevaluating that what I'm getting and I don't want it for 9.99 anymore because of this tiering thing just proves to me that they're putting more effort into somebody else's corner or whether it's it's going to be also really expensive to tier because that will require, you know, some upgrades, some churn, some marketing, some programming, you know, that it that that changes your cost basis. Mhm. For sure. So it's it's hard for me to imagine, based on my history with this company, seeing how they've done digital initiatives, to assume that they can just keep making more money every year over year on the network with a tiered strategy without it possibly having a big disruption factor for one year. You're saying that there's, there's so, a lot of technology limitations on the network. A lot of things that people casually suggest that W should improve, like the search function, uh, as far as we can see, the, the, these are limitations that are just – the answer is the technology isn't there yet. It's not available to, to them, at least. Well, what I'm even going on is saying if they do a tiering, A, I think they're going to expand a free tier to be some kind of you know linear feed or something that they're going to use to try to like cap. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But A, that's going to increase your base because now you have a bunch of people watching on your, your streams here that you have to – accounts that you have to somehow deal with that you and aren't. I think that they want to get know. all that – all those eyeballs that they get on those YouTube videos – all those views that we see that we'll talk about later, they want to get those eyeballs closer to the interface that gets you to subscribe to the network. Yeah, so that's one one element that I think would be changing is that you'd actually have a lot more people engaging with the network but not necessarily paying for it. And there's some cost associated with that because you're also going to start to market to those people. And hopefully it's a low acquisition uh, acquisition so cost. cost. With yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah, because they don't own their network. They 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 basically have someone else who does the backbone for them. Yeah, so that's part of it. N- number two is their desire is to make the network into a hub where you're buying things through there. You are getting tickets. You are getting merchandise. You're getting on-sale notices. You're You're doing things through there. And the question is whether or not the tiering also includes that. Because that that's part of an upgrade to say, hey, you want to vote for the Hall of Fame? That's part of your tiered subscription. You're at fourteen ninety nine a month. You get to be one of the voters for who goes in the Hall of Fame. You know that sort of thing. But physic man has ten that, times voting co- power. But never mind that. <laughs> it's about a million times voting power. <laughs> um, that would be hilarious if they had like, oh, who do you want to go in? Zach Ryder wins on year one or something. Um, but. Just that idea that I, I think that there's initiatives. And so I think sometimes we say tiering, but what it really is, is it's a rehaul of the WWE Network hub strategy is what they need to do. And I think it's it's impossible to pretend that they can do that at no cost. I think there's a huge investment cost. Maybe they've already, you know, kind of taken on the front end here by staffing up for it and they're ready. But I think it's going to be disruptive. So when I look at what they've done here and they make no mention of the word tearing anywhere, I just assume they're not assuming that as a cost at all. They're not basically playing that game at all. They're just pretending it's going to keep growing year over year at nine ninety nine a year with more and more international subscribers coming online. And we, I would expect so, some sort of uh, independent content 
tend to be part of a, a, a tier as well. Exactly. I, Localization, everything else is going to be more expensive. Uh, I think it's in that JP Morgan talk that, that we were just referencing from May of last year where George Barrios let it slip that and, and the words that he used that they, oh, we already have deals in place with ICW in progress. Those are UK wrestling promotions. Uh, he, 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 he referenced it as if it was, as if there was a press release out somewhere, which there was not, you know, as if they had made an announcement yeah. somewhere publicly, which he, which he had not, but that's 11 months ago now. Yeah. So it, that's what I mean is there is some content that they already have in the can that they can just put out. And that's not going to cost them a big cost. But to me, it's just bigger than just saying, hey, we're going to add a new tier. It, it, there's a lot of – and then what we saw when they launched the network was they, they had a negative you know, earnings for the year because it's expensive to make such a big change. And I don't think it's going to be nearly that expensive because it's not going to be that disruptive. But at the same time, it's really hard to know what all those pushes and pulls are. And, and there's a need for a lot more thinking. And the, the, my biggest question is always, is the tiering and the hub – hand in hand are they separate and if so if they're separate which is coming first and and how are you rolling it out and these of course are not questions that i hear asked very much beyond just hey when's tearing coming it's coming you know that sort of thing but at, at this point i do think that there's more desire to understand the 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 machinations of it that said tv rights are worth so much more you know all this pushing and pulling and tugging and tweaking is going to get you several million dollars more tens of millions of dollars more but the value of what the TV rights deal is, is a much more profitable per dollar and much higher per dollar. So their focus is on that. And uh, it will be a real big question mark about when they can roll out tiering, knowing all of these kind of question, these these challenges that they you know, have. We, we discussed um, last time, we think that we're going to get a TV rights deal, a US TV rights deal first before we get tiering. And yes, uh, I think May absolutely. to September is the timeline that WWE says that they will announce a TV rights deal for a U.S. partner. So at the earliest, tiering won't ha- won't happen until late in 2018. Until at least second half of 2018. I mean, it's always possible that they'll they'll knock out the U.S. deal in sure. May or June, and you know would have the opportunity. I would almost think you know based on I think let's go to kind of what the Needham review talked about. Um, there was. Uh, I'll just mention one of the things that they said. She said she went to the Strategic Partner Summit in New Orleans, and she, which is what she referred to it as. I don't know if that's what they renamed the Business Partner Summit. Is now the Strategic Partner Summit because these are strategic partners, but they're not business partners. I don't know. Um, but they mentioned India is an area of focus with five additional language planned out of twenty-two major languages for India in twenty eighteen. Now that's the first I've heard of this. They've talked a lot about localization, but I haven't heard them give specifics about which languages beyond saying, oh, we think it would be really valuable for us to do more. Um, but I haven't heard them saying they were going to do five additional Indian languages in 2018. That sounds like a huge investment. And to me, if you're going to make that kind of investment on on WWE network content, that might make sense to make that in advance of when you finish your deal for the WWE, for um, the TV rights for India, which I don't think we're going to be announced until 2019. Yeah, first half 20, so 2019. I, which I think she gets wrong here because she, she implies that all three deals would be done in 2018. But that said, they are negotiating it in 2018. So I, I, I will give some leeway on that. But my point was I could actually see that being a value to say, hey, look, India, we're going to kind of help you out by improving our presence for the WWE Network in your country in 2019 onwards. 
and make sure these loyal viewers of my network want to be able to see the programming. They're going to want to watch it on your television show, on your television station. Um, we'll get that done in 2018. And then by 2019, when you're ready to announce a deal, we're, we're in a better place. We're showing we're investing in India. We care about if India. They have so few subscribers in India, which is, is what we believe to be the case, right? Does that really matter? Well, I think this would also go with tiering and, oh, by the way, we're going to stop doing nine ninety nine worldwide and we're going to start going to local pricing, yeah. or, or which they've also talked about. Or there's, they've talked about that, if, of going to local pricing, local languages, and, and thinking more about local payment options like we saw in the WWE Network's international survey they did. There's a lot in there about, you know, do you like paying in USD? Would you like to have more ways to pay for the network? There's going to be a free tier, and if somehow the content that's on that free tier is localized – with language as well, I guess that could support mm-hmm. viewership of Raw and SmackDown in India. That sounds backwards, though, doesn't it? Uh, because because the big it, audience it, is Raw and SmackDown, and the small audience. Yeah, is but but again, you could make the argument that it's a joint cost. They're not doing localization for the network; they're doing localization for the country. Whoever's doing the localization for the network will also be their new announcers for the for the the weekly show. You know, so you, it, they'll so be having five localized, and we'll get we'll get yes. various languages. Yes, we'll have five. They because a they're already going to have to use a team to do that to localize it for the content for the network, anyways. B, it would probably be almost. I almost wonder if it would be part of the joint deal they're making with the TV network. You know, to say you're going to help me supply the talent that will be involved in announcing. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that with some international TV partners is that they're the announcers sometimes were associated with the networks that were carrying Ron Smackdown mm-hmm. for the localized versions, um, which, you know, some people would say that was to the detriment or to the advantage of, of the product they were watching. I've heard from international viewers talking about, you know, how sometimes clueless people would end up announcing wrestling because they they were the only one that the TV station knew had some association with wrestling, but they didn't actually like wrestling. See, Vince McMahon needs to learn Hindi, or he needs to learn the, the top five languages of India so that he can produce those announcers as well. <laughs> you know, it's it, it it's always been what fascinated me was what were these announcers saying and whose job it is, who watches the watchers, you know, who, who watches these McMahon announcers. Vince McMahon not micromanage these people? He's just going to let them say whatever they want in, in, his, in his new emerging market of India? He's got to learn well, Hindi. you know. John Cena but, learned but, Mandarin. Yeah, he can't the, learn Hindi. If only 30% of your revenue comes from outside North America and the majority of that is from the United Kingdom, uh, most of his most of his money still got uh, George Washington's uh, but, name but on India it. India is the future. It's the future. India is George's future. I don't know if India is Vince's future. George may be in this company. Saudi Arabia might be Vince's future. Vince might have walked into the Saudi Arabia deal and said, I like the way this looks. They hand me a bunch of money and they tell me to do a show. Um, so talk to me some of the, the key takeaways from the Needham uh, document here. And feel free to use the, the, the notes that I have already transcribed. All right. Well, there's just a few things I found in here. Uh, the, the report – uh, notes that uh, there's a, a section headed women and TAM and TAM means um, total available market where the, the report mentions, Oh, you know, by the way, they did this uh, give divas a chance thing the, they started the women's revolution in February, 2015 fast forward two years. The women wrestlers are now on the main card are called superstars have equal recognition and generally longer engagement times than men. 
We believe that elevating women wrestlers expands WWE's tar- target market to include women, implying its TAM just doubled. Uh, so that that's a really interesting paragraph. Um, I, I, yeah, that's a fascinating takeaway for what what's um, happening. So I, I, I don't agree with that. Do no, you? Uh, well, first of all, women superstars or female superstars have equal recognition and generally longer engagement times than men. Uh, equal recognition? No, probably not. But I, I guess with just with, what they're getting at there is that they're called superstars now instead of divas. And generally longer. Well, you could also argue that they that you know uh, when I looked at who is getting the most YouTube views, Ronda Rousey's at the very top. Yeah, you know there are women that are getting featured very heavily on these shows. Their average wrestling time has gone way up over the last four years. But generally, so, longer I mean, you, engagement times. What do you think that means? Like, what is that based on? Well. I thought they might be talking about something completely different when, in that sentence, which would be, do women on average engage with a television show longer than, a, than men do? So, you know, if they're watching a, a, a show, do they, do they have higher average watching times than Is men? That that I have no sense? idea. Because, like, how, how would Needham know no. this? No, I'm, think, I'm thinking that – well, Laura is, a, Laura is a broadcast media – like, that's her area of specialty is Netflix and broadcast media. So a lot of times she's applying the trends that she's hearing about about other things. Additionally, we didn't see the business or the strategic partner summer yet. And it's very possible that these are the kind of things that they've thrown out there in the summit is, uh, is buzzwords about this yeah. stuff. That, that could be something that but, was said in the summit. Yeah. I do think it's it's foolish to pretend that previously women didn't watch wrestling. So, so implying and that Sam just women doubled. Do watch that's, that's what they're saying is here. Be, before – give divas a chance before uh, the women's revolution and before February, 2015 women didn't watch WWE, which is an absurd notion as, as if the, the, this was a completely male audience before then. And now w- women are, are coming in. And, and it's also absurd because you could say, did UFC double their TAM when they decided to add women fighters? And did they actually then have 50% of their audience be women moving forward? Yes, they they quote unquote doubled their addressable marketplace because they added that. But in the same thing, that's implying that women don't watch men do things and men don't watch women do things. It's it seems silly to me to make that assumption because honestly, wrestling is still wrestling, right? I can agree that if you wanted to say that total divas or total bellas had an impact on the TAM for WWE, I would agree completely because I do think that reached a whole different generation and group of people than 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 WWE programming did. But I still think Raw and SmackDown at its core is still re- reaching wrestling fans. And maybe there's a, a higher percentage of women that are engaged because they, they like some of the stars and they connect with them more. But I don't think you've doubled your audience. That is absurd. No, and I... But it's a nice thing to say when you're trying to come up with an investment, you know, port, investment strategy, and you're just trying to make it sound really big, like something changed, because you 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 don't watch the product, you well, just it, get it sounds like a sales pitch more than a stock analysis, but um, but that's what a stock analysis is. A lot of times, is you're piss, pitching, not pissing, but pitching an investment thesis. You're saying this is a good idea because of blank, and so you're trying to sell them, and then you then you follow it up with here's the risks or the downsides to mine. Here's where I might be under evaluating yeah. it. So it you know it's it's really because these things aren't done unilaterally unilaterally where the person comes up with the analysis and that's all it is. A lot of times it has to go before committee and then the committee votes on typically do we accept your proposal or not. So I, I don't know if that's how it works at Needham and Company, but just keep in mind that it's not always just this unilateral 
like, you know, she said this and that's what it is. She's pitching this to people and then they're basically trying to decide whether they agree with it. And I guess as we'll talk about on the uh, subscriber show, uh, we're going to go over some demographics for the viewership on Ron Smackdown. And it's, it's kind of a mixed case. There are some instances, without going into it too deep here, there are some instances where the uh, female viewership uh, does better than the male viewership over time. But uh, but it's not a clear case, and it's not it's not like a, wow the the female viewership has really increased strongly, and it's an undeniable case. Um, it's it's kind of a mixed bag with with some some positive takeaways for for the female audience. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, my favorite thing to do at Access was to stand by the entrance a stage and just watch people do entrances. And what my biggest takeaway was was how many young women were doing entrances of of female superstars is that was really interesting to me to see that happening and i do think that there is something to be said that they have begun to create some engagement by creating stars that that more fans want to engage with and to me that's always what it's about right is that you want to create stars that engage with your audience and that's all it ever is, is because you don't necessarily make UFC fans. You make Ronda Rousey fans. And then some of them stick around and a lot of them don't when that person's not on that card. And we've seen that same cycle in wrestling for years and years and years that you have wrestling fans and you have people who are fans of certain superstars. And if those superstars go away, hell, hey, John Cena's not on the card. I'm not bringing my family. So, you know, it, it, to me, it just goes to the idea of saying you have stars, you're trying to make stars, and that a, a small percentage of people become draws in themselves. And yes, you might make it more appealing. And, and my wife will say she's more apt to watch wrestling now than she did uh, uh, a decade ago because she, she thinks that the wrestling is a better quality and it seems less TNA-focused. Uh, and so you, you could make the strong argument that, yes, you're, you're actually appealing to a lot, little bit larger of an audience, but I, I think it's silly to pretend that women weren't watching before, or to pretend that somehow women are going to magically just start watching because you're you have women on television because you have to have the right women on television. You have to have the right stars. And, and, and again, star creation and creating stars is not something that somebody like George Barrios talks about very much. And I think because they don't want to put the thought in, in people's minds of well, oh, well, what if that star gets injured? Um, yeah, I mean, it's the argument about is it the brand to draw or is the star draw? And more and more and more, they want it just to be the brand, the brand, the brand. But we still see individuals occasionally breaking out of the pack and they make a bigger difference. And then it's funny because, like we say, they talk out of both sides of their mouth. They tell us the brand is a draw. But when, once they sound Ronda Rousey, not a single call has gone by where they haven't mentioned her name at least six times. Um on marketing, uh, there's this paragraph that says there are a few marketers who understand their there are a few marketers who understand their fans and their product as well as WB as evidenced by its longevity, its enormous library programming and compelling economics. Uh, WB is serialized TV entertainment, but its relevance has lasted 40 years so far, three times longer than most other TV series. So I think that this gets at I think that, most other hit TV yeah, series, most other hit TV series in quotes. So I. Th- which, again, I think is, is Laura talking from her TV background, saying, well, how long does the survival or scandal or whatever be a hit show? So I think this gets at something I think about a lot in that we need to think about wrestling, WWE or, or any pro wrestling promotion, as as a thing that is neither TV nor sports, but it's, it's straddling both. And that's why WWE has lasted for 40 years, because it's it's perceived in culture, it's, it's organized in culture, 
partly as a sport, just like football, baseball, basketball, hockey, or whatever. And that's why those things have such longevity because they're just they're just mediums that people want to engage with over time. And they, it's, wrestling is something that somebody follows, or football is something that somebody follows. Yeah, but the, people said that about WCW. You know, they can't die. Wrestling yeah, fans wrestling will always alive. exist. I know, but my point being, a lot of people said, well, these wrestling fans will just go watch the other wrestling product. And instead, a lot of them left. Right. And, and, that, and, and that's I think the, I, the straddling of both worlds comes in. That's why it's not perfectly analogous to sports or to TV. Because you do have situations mm-hmm. like that where WCW goes out of business. And because wrestling is kind of a TV series, you don't have the conversion of all those people going over to WWE. No, I, I, I hear what you're saying, and I agree. It's what we have to think about it as, and that's why, of course, it's funny. You know, the, the true people will recognize they, they compare themselves to sports when they want sports money. They compare themselves to episodic television when they want some other comparison. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 a game you play if you don't want to be compared against uh, things that reflect on you unfavorably. Yeah, and it's not they, – they make these comparisons to their convenience, Uh and uh, I don't know. I just think wrestling is is it. It's neither. You know, it's it's something in the middle. And you have to. And if you forget that it's something in the middle, if you don't know that it's something in the middle, then you're gonna gonna make uh, you're prone to make inaccurate predictions about where wrestling's gonna go. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think there's a lot of examples where people have tried to treat it like a live sport and then been surprised by how it's worked out for the economics and the well, calculations. Exactly the example you just brought up about WCW. Well, all those, all those wrestling fans are just going to go over to the other wrestling show. Now that that wrestling show is gone, but they didn't because it, in some ways it is like a TV show or even the attrition of ratings and, over time that we saw up until, um, up until the last six or eight months or so where we saw WWE's TV ratings decline year after year after year, uh, decline not as as badly as most scripted tv has declined but maybe declining worse than a lot of live sports because it's somewhere in the middle and and that's where i go much more to the star element of it to say a lot of it has to do with the reason wcw fans didn't want to go watch wwe is they didn't see the stars that they liked moving over you know they didn't turn it on and see sting and rick flair immediately or gold and so it or Goldberg, or even yeah, Hogan, and, and I guess the following year they did, or even but. yeah, it was 20, 2002 by the time he came back. But yeah, it, there was a break, and so especially when they were saying this is WCW and it's Chris Canyon, you know, like that doesn't mean a lot to some of these people. Uh, so so that that's going to be a challenge there, and and it speaks a lot to, you know, there's TV shows that you know when they lose a certain star they plummet, and you know it's not because people are fans of the TV show; they're fans of that version of the TV show that they cared about. And you know, we'll we'll see where it goes. Longevity. You, you, it's she wrote like Fox News, which combines news and entertainment to create loyal audiences. WWE combines sports yeah, and entertainment. I, I, I what did you think ter- of that comment? I found this terrifying. Um, <laughs> Fox News. And never. Uh, I guess I have heard it put this way, but it's just to see it put this way, like. Fox News combines news with entertainment to create loyal audiences. That's terrifying. That's a terrifying uh, partial sentence. Like, that's why yep. is, is that why the world but, is the way it is? Because like you know, news and entertainment have but, become almost indistinguishable. 
Yeah, well, I was, I was watching some Daily Show clips uh, from from the John Stewart era last night, and I was just thinking about you know how much more I used to engage with that kind of form of news and entertainment as one. Um, and then risk to targets. What well, did you and just think about the, that 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 comment again about Fox News and like just the way that uh, the world has become more and more like pro wrestling over the last year or two. And you think about the the story that I've I've brought up before about how there's there's two TVs in the WWE elevator. There's one that's broadcasting the network, and there's one that's broadcasting Fox News. You know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I have any thesis there, but there's there's something interesting and sinister about that. But uh, anyway, interesting that that would be when we used to subtitle our shows. It would be WrestleNomics 45. Interesting and sinister. Um, risks to. To the target, and their target is, is $45 on the stock price, by the way, which the stock price, I think, as of today is about $39. Um, one, of the, one of the risks that they list is that uh, risk to our W target price, yada, yada, slowing of global subscriber growth of the OTT network, that is the W network, due to the and rising and rising content uh, costs due to the potential saturation of super fans for W's content. So I guess the point is that, well, how much how much more growth how much more of a ceiling do they have to uh, obtain new subscribers because maybe they're getting close to saturating all their super fans um and i and i think yeah, this is and, a and money left more programming. this is a money left on the table situation that that a that a financial anal- analysis firm like Needham or like JP Morgan may not be really that familiar with so this is my argument that WWE's leaving money on the table because they produce a type of product that turns certain wrestling fans off. And if they would produce a, a product that is a little more uh, intelligent and mature, and by mature I don't mean extra violent or sexual, I just mean not so damn stupid, then they would be able to get more fans to to pay more money over a longer period of time. But, but the backbone of, of Vince McMahon's creative direction limits that somewhat of course not not to the point where they're not a profitable company because lord knows they are they're making lots and lots of money they're a very profitable company so there is no economic incentive for anybody to do otherwise but the uh, the ceiling of super fans who they could attract to become subscribers to the w network that ceiling would be way higher if uh the, the product wasn't so bad well and so what's funny though is that this is talking about fans when the, what's their largest engine of growth? What's TV rights? It is, yeah. And TV rights is coming from very small deciders, groups of deciders who who are basically making. But what are they deals. making those decisions based on? TV TV ad. They, they make it based on the fan. Yeah, but but in general, they're still making it based on their gut. You know, do I like Fox doesn't know for a fact that if they pay two hundred fifty million for WWE that they, it's going to be a good investment or a bad investment. But they're making that promise now versus if, if WWE's engine of growth was live events and WWE network subscriptions. Well, hell, that is very fan driven. So I think some of it is that Vince doesn't see the opportunity cost because why should he have to switch up what he's doing if he's getting higher and higher TV rates? I agree. Because at least what he's doing, he knows works for him. And what you're suggesting is something that is the opposite of what he knows is going to happen. And so he's putting something at risk, and he doesn't know if the upside is really there. It could be there, but it could also not be there. And what I'm suggesting so, would, would, be too, would be too damaging to his ego to, to admit that, well, my, my entire creative vision, my philosophy on sports entertainment uh, is, is really not on the right track as, as far as 
making getting the most money out of this business. And there's times that, you know, they make subtle changes over many months and it works. And so I, I do think sometimes we can be a little too much uh, doom and gloom. I'm not doom and gloom in, where, in that this company is profitable. It's going to be profitable for the foreseeable future. But I'm saying like even the decision to get Daniel Bryan back in on their television program. That's not an easy that is supposedly corporate a medical decision, supposedly. I know, but I'm just saying the, the the willingness to basically get to that point, I would argue that is reading the tea leaves and saying, what would be valuable to our company? Can we work out a solution with this so guy? The, that, clearing Daniel Bryan medically was a business decision. There was some, some business involved in that decision. It was not merely a medical decision that was made by Dr. Joseph Maroon. I think the decision to allow him to find a way to clear himself was a business decision. Yeah. Because they could have just said, no, Brian, you're you're done. We're done with you. We're not going to go back on our word. Instead, they said, OK, let's make a deal. Let's figure out what we're willing to put up and what the, the hurdles you have to do to get through it. And and I have to believe that's partially because you're they're recognizing there's value in him. And and so, there's, you know, you could make the argument go somewhere else. And there's risk. And and like we talked about on the show, there's also value in his name being associated with them. Other people want to go work for WWE because Daniel Bryan is there because it signals that, OK, the best talent in the world is paid well, paid well enough and taken care of well enough that they want to stay there. So in, in theory, that that's the messaging I'm just saying. But no, I, I hear exactly what you're saying. I'm just saying because their business model is not based on attendance or WWE Network subscribers as their main engine of growth, it's tough for them to challenge their worldview yes, I'm, at I'm this well time. Aware in my of that. But and most of their money comes from TV rights, and it's going to come from TV rights for the foreseeable future. Well, most of their growth, most of their growth comes from there. Not You're right. The money. largest single yeah, segment. Most of their yes. growth and, the and the biggest single segment is, is TV rights fees. But and, and I think a lot of that is based on what their ad rates are and their ad rates are what they are and they're not as good as UFCs for example maybe they maybe they yes, maybe that, they just can't be as good as UFCs i, I would probably argue that that they they're probably not going to ever have the ad rate per minute or whatever it is per hour of UFC but they could be a lot closer to UFC if if the creative direction respected its viewers intelligence more well, maybe one step of that is put UFC and WWE on the same channel and start uh, start showing them back-to-back. Here's what UFC is making per hour. Here's what you're making per hour. What do you think you can do about it, Vince? And uh, you never know. Sometimes sometimes they have been motivated by the network to change the way that they program. You know, the, the brand split was in part motivated by requests from USA Network. But I, but I Freshen your SmackDown show I'm up. Suggesting, I don't think I don't expect is ever going to be recognized by someone who has Vince McMahon's someone from a TV network that has that's going to have Vince McMahon's attention. I, like I say, so, so I guess they, my point is th- this is what they're doing wrong. This is how to fix it, but it's it's never going to get fixed in Vince McMahon's lifetime. I I just go back to the the fact that they they the brand. The network themselves helped influence some of the decisions they had around what they did for the brand split. And that says to me that there's always the possibility that network involvement will, in many ways, ch- help them decide to evolve how they're looking at the business. And, and that's an easier but thing. You're talking us. about the core philosophy of wins and losses and presentation. And that, you're right, isn't always being updated. Yeah. And I don't, I don't expect that a TV executive is ever going to study or understand pro wrestling well enough to to 
comprehend that and to bring that to WWE's attention. But but I I just go back to that when people will ask them about UFC, they will usually say, hey, UFC, they do them. We don't know how they're doing. We don't know what their ad rates are. We don't know any of that stuff. And if they were both on the same network, you would have that opportunity for Fox to pressure them to say, hey, I can show you what these numbers are. I can prove this to you. And a guy like George would be motivated. Now, I don't know if he's going to make a difference, but I would say I think some of these people would relish the ability to be thought of as high-level sports programming. And there's a lot of things that 10 years ago I would say Vince will never do, and I think he's done in his business evolution. You know, promoting George and, and Michelle to co-president, I think that's a big deal because I think that's a good example of saying there are some other decision-makers in this room here who are helping influencing how they're evolving this product. And Vince himself has said, I want to go and do this alpha entertainment. I want to kind of pull myself away. And, and to further tell you know. what I'm saying here is when we compare the ad rates of UFC and WWE, which we don't have the numbers in front of me, but we know the UFC's ad rates are significantly higher than WWE's. And to go back to the thing I was saying earlier about how professional wrestling straddles this world between scripted entertainment and live sports. So I think we, we can place that over this discussion as well to say, look, our TV rights may never be or excuse me, our, our ad rates may never be as high as UFC's because UFC is a live sport. It's not a scripted entertainment. There's entertainment aspects to it, but it's not scripted entertainment, obviously, in the way that WWE is. So we're going to be limited in, with our TV rates to some degree, but I still think that there is a lot of room for them to grow. Just, just what I'm saying is WWE is work, so that's always going to limit them in terms of what their TV ad rates can be and what other what other uh, aspects of their business can be, But I, but there's still... I believe a great deal of room for improvement. And and this goes to the rest of Laura's thesis. So she, she mentions the Saudi Arabia 10-year deal. She mentions 80% of YouTube con- content is consumed offshore and only 30% of the revenue comes from outside North America. That to me is a good example of that like leading edge. You could be making WWE a worldwide thing. And and to her credit, that's something Laura Needham has asked them Laura or, or Laura yeah. Martin has, has asked them for a decade now why aren't you growing faster why aren't you bigger internationally at 10 years ago you told me you could be big internationally and you guys have barely moved the needle since then and i think she's absolutely right that in in many ways you could argue that they they've been too north american centric in their way that they built the business model that it's impaired their ability to have a true global strategy um India, like we mentioned, is the area of focus. Uh, the growing engagement, they talk about the number of viewers on the week before WrestleMania. Um, they said using data should allow WWE to lower s- sub-churn and raise the lifetime value of each OTT sub. Um, apparently, she did not get the memo from George that OTT is so 2014. Um, but uh, over the top, for those of you who don't know what OTT stands for, uh, which is just another way of saying like WWE Network, a, a digital subscription That's service. Esfad, yeah. Um, social media lowers customer acquisition costs. They have 850 million social media followers. And again, like we've talked about, that's a little bit of of adding the same person from many different accounts, plus adding all the bots, plus adding all the whatevers. Uh, but you become the number one sports property on YouTube. And they she, she writes that WWE was paid, in their estimate, about $23 million for 20 billion views, mostly YouTube. I work that out to about a buck 15 per thousand, mm-hmm. if, I, if I did that right. Um, so that that you know that that will be interesting to see. Uh, I don't know. That seems like much higher than what most of people get for YouTube views, right? Uh, a dollar, a dollar sounds about right. Okay, 
Okay. Um, and then she says, what are the catalysts? And she says it's TV rights deals in US, UK, and India. And then OTT sub growth is becoming profitable, owing, owning to dot, dot, dot. Growing TAM as women and globally relevant wrestlers become more central. That's a huge statement there. That's implying that we're getting more WWE Network subscribers because women are now more likely to become WWE Network subscribers because they like the because WWE's women's revolution, I guess. And globally relevant wrestlers are saying we're getting more WWE Network subscribers because Jack Gall- gentleman Jack Gallagher's out there or Jinder Mahal or uh, you know the the new Brazilian chick on NXT. Conti. I always forget her first name. Conti. Yes. Um, yes. Tenere, tenere. Well, I mean, WWE would have this data at their fingertips. We, we they don't let us know what it is publicly. Well, but we know we know this is their strategy because we know this is why they're flooding the PC with international wrestlers. You know, why are they basically like, like you and I, I? I had a pretty passionate rant about this a, a couple months ago, where I was saying you have this enormous body of people who are professional wrestlers in in America and in Europe and in Asia who train their life to be professional wrestlers, who get experience, who, who are passionate about this business. And yet you're spending most of your resources going out there trying to find people that are not professional wrestlers who just speak a certain language or come from a certain country and you're trying to convert them into professional wrestlers. And we don't know how successful the strategy really is, but it's an enormous opportunity cost because there's a limited portfolio that you're willing to basically put into NXT and you're choosing to stack half of your deck in this who's way. Who's the most successful and, recruit that they've got that fits that description as someone who's, who's never an indie wrestler but was recruited by WWE? Particularly you could make the argument that like Alexa hmm. uh, I was going to say Alexa Bliss um, is one that they really like to kind of yeah, point as, as someone. Corbin. Who kind of Baron Corbin would, would be another Raleigh. one. I've heard them use I've heard them use Sasha Banks, but she's not a, a true example, obviously, she, she because she had indie experience. She had a lot of wrestling. same with Bailey, um, but Charlotte. Uh, oh. um, you know any of the any of the amateur wrestlers? You know Brock Lesnar. <laughs> true. <laughs> you know, and so so it. To, but to your question about what international star, I don't know if we've seen the international star yeah. come through the system L- and Love become exclusively Tan Bing and Kavita Devi. Uh, yeah, they're early. Like they're they're early all in their careers. Yeah, here. exactly. They're all footnotes yeah. right now, and so I, I'm not saying it's a terrible strategy. I'm just saying it's clear they've gone all in on this, and yet there's a huge question mark about when you look at who were the biggest stars in wrestling. And I think she actually gets to this obliquely in her plagiar not plagiarized but cop, copy paste version of this because I've seen her this document from her for many years, and she refers to the same data points over and over again. One of them being. By the way, um, Ro- The Rock's father and grandfather were a wrestler. Mm-hmm. Vince McMahon's father and grandfather were promoters. And so there is kind of this essential idea to say, actually, a lot of the biggest stars in wrestling were either wrestlers who came into WWE as a wrestler, not as a converted person, or were family heritage into wrestling, meaning that they were very connected to wrestling. And and you will have the exceptions. I mean, Goldberg's a great example of a guy who became a star, mm-hmm. right? You know, who who didn't necessarily come from that. And in the eighties, there's tons of stars of football guys, you know, road warriors and whatnot, who who became enormous draws worldwide. Um, but I, I'm just I struggle to think of that great international 
superstar that didn't somehow try to carve the path for pro wrestling prior. And that suggests we have to wait and see. In five years' time, they should see some rewards on the strategy. Otherwise, I would say they had a huge opportunity cost. Much in the same way, five years ago or ten years ago, TNA could have hired all this indie talent and they didn't decide to spend the money and the time going that direction. But, you know, the Kevin Owens and the Sami Zayn's and the Samoa Joes of the world, those are not good examples of how you built a superstar or Nakamura by, by taking them from scratch and bringing them through the system. So that, that to me is just – so that's a really weird, interesting strategy they're saying, that they're growing the TAM for WWE Network subscribers by making more globally relevant wrestlers, which could be true. I, I do think that if they have a big Indian superstar there's a, and they reprice the WWE Network in India, there's a possibility they can get a lot more WWE Network subs. They still have to deal with the whole distribution problem being broadband versus you know mobile content. But well, that, that's – Well, we kind of said, said last week um, – hey, Jinder Mahal really is a draw because we think the India deal is going to be increased and increased a little more because of all that time and attention they put towards India with with Jinder Mahal being champion. Yeah, but what we don't know is whether or not Jinder Mahal being a champion was the the strategy. My point was concentrating on India was the right thing to do. Doing localized shows were India. Even running a a not-so-successful live event there was the right thing to do. I don't know whether making Jinder Mahal your your top star was the right thing to do because he couldn't even sell out those shows. Mm-hmm. And to me, then that says, would it really have been different if they put someone else in that position? You know, if anything, it, it says to me, maybe you underutilized your opportunity to use Great Khali because it seems like he was a much more important guy. Great Khali should have been WWE champion last year for however long it was. I think we should have shown shows to India telling them that he was. Mm-hmm. And, and that was the rumor for years and years is that they used to edit – like SmackDown down with Great Kali, and if you watched it, you would have thought he was like the main guy yeah, on the show. Create entire alternate realities for uh, for select countries, like in, in, in India, Great Kali's a champion. In the U.S., Roman Reigns is a champion. You know, <laughs> in in just certain states, Roman Reigns is a champion, and just blow, cause the blow confusion the on the internet, line. where there's different episodes going out. To different stations at different Blue times. Mason Dixon line, John Cena and Roman Reigns are baby faces. In the Northeast, they're heels. Something. Bizarro land broadcast and non bizarro land. So, um, and then lastly, uh, she just notes in valuation that WWE is currently trading at 3.4x times their fiscal 18 revenue estimates versus something like Roku at 5.3 or Netflix at 10. So that's why she thinks there's an upside on the stock here. And again, I can't speak to stock prices because that's very different than the argument about is it is it is, what's her TV deal going to be? She she did make a really weird comment here, which said NXT also lowers the risk of injury or availability of main card wrestlers since there are now several fully trained minor league wrestlers who can step in to fill any gaps, which is a weird way of putting it because I cannot think of an example where an NXT wrestler was called up to WWE to fill in for a main eventer. Well, well I guess I, I would argue sport. You, well, you don't take the minor leaguer and put him when your top star on your sports team gets hurt. You don't call up somebody from the minor leagues and put him in that spot, but you, you, that's it, it, it enhances your depth spot. chart. Yeah, I guess that's, and I would agree with that for sure is that, you know, their ability to have day after WrestleMania call ups and make it an exciting kind of, you know, make things seem fresh has gone way up with their NXT pipeline there. 
And, you know, there's people that have reestablished themselves through NXT, uh, you know, like Drew McIntyre, I think has really, you know, he, he could not have come back as three man band Drew and had anyone care. And and his time in NXT kind of reproved his his legacy along with his time in TNA, but but his time in NXT especially. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Needham estimates they thought they would do about two hundred eighty three million in TV rights this year. By comparison, uh, the number JP Morgan gave was two ninety six. That's almost a fifteen million dollar difference between the two, which I thought was a surprisingly large gap. Um, they thought next year would be three twenty seven. And uh, J.P. Morgan thought that they would be at, um, sorry, I scrolled past it, uh, 325. So they're very close on 2019 money, but they're very different on 2018 money, which I think is just goes to tell you the, the kind of variability that goes into these estimates from these analysts and why it's sometimes hard to take it more than one grain of salt. If you can be $15 million off on just a very large revenue line for this year, that's really surprising to me. Um, they, they, she, she has them at about 53% OBITA, uh, percentage by comparison. Uh, JP Morgan had them at that same number, but had it growing where she has it basically steady. Uh, she said the, the WWE network she guessed was in 199 million this year. Uh, JP Morgan had them at 211 this year. So again, that's another $12 million difference, um, for revenue, which I thought was, again, that's a pretty big gap. <laughs> Uh, and then for live events, she had him at 155 for this year, and JP Morgan had it at 163, which is almost $8 million, which is a little bit more forgivable to me because at least live events, you can, you don't really know how many WWE is going to run because they're constantly ramping it up. And they, when they do international tours, they can make a lot of money on those. And we don't know how something like the Saudi Arabia deal is going to play through. But I, I just. I just wanted to call that out as an example of that's how much variability we're seeing between different estimates. And yet we're still seeing a lot of people center in at these same kind of nice round numbers, 45 bucks, 40 bucks, et cetera. So um, she's estimating that the WWE network would be about 1.65 million in 2018. I think that's a good estimate. 1.75 million in 2019. I think without tiering, that's a good estimate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't think that she's far off on those kind of numbers but i was just kind of shocked when i started looking at how how much difference there was and same with the jp morgan thing basically it's implying this year we'd be at 300 million in tv rights within two years we'd be almost at 400 million that's a shocking amount of of price uh addition and so when people you know kind of wonder about what's the future wwe that's what i would point to i'd say if you think in a in two years with basically the same strategy you have today you're going to get a hundred million dollars more you would be pretty confident too about your your outlook. Yes, it's not doom and gloom. It's going to be increasingly profitable for years yeah. and years. Uh, last thing I wanted to talk about was board of board of director elections. Uh, so the BOD, the shareholders meeting was yesterday. Did you go, Brandon? I didn't, I didn't make it. Uh, no, I had something else to do. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't make the. Uh, <laughs> couldn't drive to to WWE yeah, headquarters. It's not, it's not a twelve hour drive. It's more like a seven hour drive. You have looked it up now? Well, I'm just thinking, I've driven to New York City before, and it's only like a seven, six, seven hour drive. Yeah, but Stanford is still like another hour, hour and a half from well, there. I did, my porcupine incident, I had to drive back and forth from, from Massachusetts. <laughs> I, think I, I, think I, the I think I did that in five. I don't know. All right, folks, we're going to now do a live Google map from North <laughs> Tonawanda, New York, to directions Stanford. to... Oh, you, you even got the city right this time, North Tonawanda, not Tonawanda. 
Oh, yeah. do we, and uh, to WWE headquarters. I think I've got an update in my midlife crisis. I've. Uh, I've well, no, go ahead. There, there's a walking. Oh, there's well. a walking way, which involves a ferry. Do you, Do you want the ferry? Want the ferry. No. <laughs> go ahead. What's the update to the midlife crisis? For those those of you who have not been listening every week, uh, Brandon was explaining he was concerned that perhaps he should quit his jobs, uh, buy a house, and become a uh, monk. Aren't I already a monk? Um, <laughs> six and a half hours drive from, from North Taiwan to Stanford. Um, no, I've been thinking about, uh, this is my latest uh, half uh, half commitment to uh, what I'm going to do with my life. Maybe I'll just rent an apartment that's, um, so it's not a, a different apartment than what I have now. It's probably in, in, this, in, in a certain area of the city of Buffalo, right by the, the 193 way so that I can... Um, if if you're listening to this, please don't uh, please don't also shop for rent, rental uh, space so that it doesn't drive up the price for me. But um, yes, yeah, somewhere near the throughway, so I have a nice nice throughway access, so I can get to the school and to work in a timely fashion. And that's less less so commitment. Let- as, so I th- and I won't be buying a house that way. I won't be get, getting myself into this really cheap house that I'm committed to long term, as as you compassionately d- dissuaded me from. Uh, from doing, you advise me not to not to buy a, a, a super cheap Brandon Thurston house. Yeah, that that was my point. I, I didn't have a problem with you buying a house. Yes, I just I didn't want yes. you to buy the cheapest house out there because you were then limiting your ability to have other people enjoy uh, uh, life the cohabitation. cohabitation. Yes, I don't know. Yeah, um, I don't think I'm going to be cohabitating with anybody anytime soon. But yeah, I, I was Probably I was not very in this presidential election term, but yeah. I'm very surprised to see how close Poughkeepsie is to a WWE headquarters. I never realized that it's it's so much closer oh, than I thought it was. Yeah, it's an hour and a half from uh, WWE headquarters. I'm also always shocked at how close WWE headquarters is to New York City. You're right. It's really just outside yeah. uh, New Rochelle it's and New, New York territory. Okay. It's the New York territory. That is true. Um well, they had a shareholder meeting at the uh, WWE headquarters. I'd be curious about how many people actually show up to yeah, these things. We're going to show up next um, year, though, right? We're going to buy. We're each going to buy one stock, one 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 share of WWE stock. Which uh, I don't know. We 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 should have bought it a long time ago. We'd be much uh, richer. We'd be getting those twelve cent dividends every quarter. But uh, be be just like Linda, who has fifty million dollars in dividends. A year, fifty million dollars. No, she didn't. Um, like fifty million dollars in dividends. Well, maybe with Vince's. I, uh, anyway. anyway, yeah, I think it was including Vince's. Yes, um, but it said here elected were the eleven in- individuals uh, to serve as directors, and at the uh, annual stockholder meeting in twenty nineteen, like seventeen million dollars uh, per year in dividends based on the stock that he owns. But anyway, go ahead. That's off the top of my head. That's, uh, that's how well I know WWE business. See, wow. Go ahead. Sorry. The board of directors people were Vincent K. McMahon, George A. Berrios, Michelle D. Wilson, Stephanie McMahon, Paul Levesque, Stuart U. Goldfarb, Patricia A. Gutzman, Lauren Ung, Robin W. Peterson, Frank A. Riddick III, and Jeffrey R. Speed. And um, all of them received about 370 million to 372 million votes, uh, with withheld votes ranging from about two hundred and twelve thousand to all the way up to two point six million. How is this important? And then, is the board of directors, why? What, what bearing does this have on W business? Well, the board of directors is basically supposed to be providing the oversight for the business to ensure that the shareholders' interests are being protected, and that the business uh, is operating, you know, in in a way that is appropriate and 
establishes itself for the long term, but especially to protect the shareholders. Um, in addition, uh, the the board of directors makes those decisions that really can't be made by the company itself. So they deal with things like executive compensation uh, and making sure that that gets ratified but every this year. This election is so, really just an exercise because Vince McMahon uh, controls eighty three percent of the voting here. Yes, and so there's three hundred eighty eight thousand six hundred. I'm sorry, three hundred eighty eight million six hundred thirty four thousand six hundred sixty eight votes possible. And that's how many share based on uh, shares outstanding and entitled to vote. And that would include the fact that Vince's shares, which is about half of the half of the stock is gets 10 times the voting rights. So he uh, controls, like you said, about 83 percent of the votes himself or through the class B stock. Um, And then uh, 377,952,490 votes actually represented and voted. Uh, so they had about 97.25% quorum. Um, so what I was looking at here was the foreign against or foreign withheld votes. Um, there's only enough people nominated here basically to fill all the spots. So it's not like it's one of these where there's only, a, you know, there's going to be other people getting nominated and some people are not going to get on. Um, so I looked at 2014 through 2018, so the last five years, kind of what the percentages are. And it has been 98% every year, pretty much. But what's intriguing is the the against column or the, the withheld column in terms of who gets the highest number of votes where they're not being basically ratified at, by the voters here to be part of the board of directors. And, and we can pretty much assume that Vince McMahon is probably ratifying everyone. So in a certain sense, we could actually take out about be eight- ratifying everyone. Oh, yes. Yeah. And so we could take out almost 83 percent of these votes um, just to say that's Vince voting yes. And so what percentage of the people remaining are voting yes for these people? And it's about 75 percent is what we figured out when we looked at it. But what was interesting is also to say who's got the highest percentages against. Uh, So this year um, you had Patricia Goatsman at about one point three million withheld. Then you had Paul. Or you had Stephanie McMahon at 1.1. You had Paul Levesque at 1.7 million. You had Michelle Wilson at 1.7. And then you had George Berrios at 2.6. And then you had Vince McMahon at 640,000. And then uh, Stuart Goldfarb and Lauren Ong and Robin Peterson and Frank Riddick and Jeffrey Speed were all about half of what Vince was. And that that's the usual trend is usually the, the outside directors seem to be about at half of what Vince's number is. But – What's intriguing is to see how high those George and Michelle numbers are, 2.6 and 1.6. And that really makes me think that there must be some shareholders out there who are very much against having, you know, essentially the CEO of the company on the board and then putting his son-in-law, putting his daughter, putting his co-presidents on the board as well, now representing five of these seats. Uh, and so I'm, I'm guessing out of the 11 seats, five of them are people that work directly for this company and basically work for Vince McMahon. So I, I can I'm not surprised to see so many people pushing back, but I am a little surprised to also see the difference between Michelle and George that, you know, people saying I don't want my CFO and chief strategy officer slash co-president at 2.6 million people basically pushing back. So that that really intrigued me. Um, and then when we go to last year, and this was like kind of a little under noticed story, is that Vince McMahon had actually 4.2 million against last year. Um, so I'm guessing this was some kind of activist thing where there was some large company 
be it, you know, BlackRock or someone who was probably uncomfortable with the way things were going at that time or nervous about having someone so close on the board of directors here. Um, and then the number two person that year was Patricia Goatsman at 1.3 million. So it makes me think that this Patricia Goatsman must have some kind of uh, uh, enemy on the board of a large shareholder. Um, because if you go back two years, you know the two people that were the highest were were Stephanie and Paul, and they only did four hundred thousand against each of them, and then Vince was at a hundred thousand against, and everyone else was at like sixty or ninety thousand votes against. So it, it's intriguing to see kind of as um as as the business results turn, you, you can kind of see different levels of confidence in Vince. Um, whereas last year, obviously, there was a lot of people who seemed to have lots of reservations or more likely one very large shareholder having large reservations. Um, and that could have been the, um, that, that there, at one time there was a story about like the guy who developed big brother in the Netherlands. He was like some billionaire and he had invested a bunch of money in WWE. And I think he was, he said he was going to try to pressure them. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was the story, but, um, Vince's number went way down this year, but it's clear that whenever they're trying to add new members from the company, be it Steph and Paul or this year being George and Michelle, there's still a large group of people that seem to be against that. And the, the George numbers really stick out to me because George's number is, uh, let's see, it is 2.6 million withheld, 57% higher than Michelle's number. And I would have thought they would be very tandem. Yeah. So it's interesting. And it, it could be that some people are also looking at this and saying, it's important to have more women on board of directors. And so I'm more likely to support Michelle and uh, Stephanie than I am going to support Paul and George. I, I've done the and, math. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's I've done the problem. math here. And um, like if, if we figure out what Vince's votes would be and, and take out all the Vince votes and just look at it like the non-Vince votes, everybody's still getting like 58 to 57, 59 million votes compared to like George is, is the one with the highest number of votes withheld at 2.6 million. So there's still the vast majority of votes that are not coming from Vince are still approving of this. Yeah. When I looked at it, I, I got Vince was 75.2% versus George was 72.2%. So it was a 3% difference, but we're still well over 70%, which on most balloting methods that would considered more than enough. Right. We're, we're um, talking, you know, two so, versus 56 and four versus 59. Even yeah. So it, it's not that I think that it's like, oh, gosh, there's a re full scale revolt. But I do think it's an interesting idea of saying what is the confidence level that people have year to year in Vince or what are what is, what kind of activism do we see? And so it is intriguing that the number for Vince is always twice as high as everyone else. And it could just be that, you know, uh, people are just worried that there's too much leadership consolidation in WWE with Vince that, you know, they, they insist they have a secession plan, but it's a secret secession mm -hmm. plan, right? You know, so it's stuff like that where I think there is the, this concern sometimes that people have that, you know, he he has absorbed so much of the nucleus of the strategy and the brand that losing him would be detrimental and that shareholders would be in a in a in a bad position because there has not been enough division of labor and resources, mm -hmm. uh, which is one argument for saying putting, you know, put the uh, put these people on uh, uh, the the board of directors, but at the same time, he's also expanding. Now, you know, we have 11, a year ago, we only had eight people on the board of directors. A year before that, we had 10 people. So, you know, there's been a lot of changes going on with that as well. 
um, the number of people that they've had on the board. So in in essence, they they voted all the people on. They uh, voted for a ramification of the appointment of the independent auditor to be Deloitte and Touche. And uh, they uh, voted for the ex- executive compensation to be as they've described on the proxy statement. And that's the reason they go in such depth about the proxy in the proxy statement about how they're paying people is basically they have to vote on it at that time. So Kevin is not on. I should actually go back and look to see how Kevin Dunn did when when uh, he was voted on to the uh, board of directors years ago and uh, how many people opposed him at the time. So. But uh, you've been listening to Russell Nomics Radio. Uh, we are the only podcast that covers the board of director <laughs> voting patterns on uh, WWE. And uh, I say that with pride, actually. I do. I feel like, you know, at least someone does. And so we're the when, only when podcast the Earth... any, almost any of the time. I mean, obviously, everyone's talking about Saudi Arabia. Very few people are talking about ESPN and Fox bids for, for UFC or, or, or the Fox bids for, for WWE. Certainly, well, the Dave, depth Dave, we're Dave talking did... about them. Dave did talk about In it, so I'll, I'll give we're a shout out to the the Observer Radio. Uh, but I I do think we win on the board of directors. Nobody's talking about Jake uh, Morgan's reports or Needham's reports um. that we're aware of, but maybe they're listening to us. So that's always a possibility. We do have a super serve subscriber show. We're going to talk about Raw and SmackDown, your year viewership. We're going to do some Mookie-nomics on Raw ratings and those YouTube views discussion I had. We're going to go through Mookie's Legal Gazette, which is a whole bunch of different stuff, and uh, maybe even do a little bit uh, talking about the great Bruno San Martino. So uh, if you are a SuperServe subscriber, uh, also make sure you get excited. Tell your friends $5 a month because uh, we're always trying to come up with new ideas and ways to kind of keep people hooked. Uh, One of the ideas that we said we were going to try to do this month is uh, start our our monthly wrestling movie review. And so uh, last month we did Bloodsport and it was a pretty – it was such a big success that uh, Matt Riddle went out there and made sure that he started his own promotion around it just for WrestleMania weekend. He was already planning on doing that, but but, uh, I think he was was even more motivated after we did that, I think. Yes, I think that's what happened. And and um, uh, this month we're going to be trying for another one. I think the two of us have decided that uh, we're going to maybe go with uh, AWA's classic, The Wrestler. The 1974, The Wrestler. So uh, that, that will be a, uh, Which I've not, a I've joy to slot. We're, we're, I think we're focusing on movies that I've never seen. Yeah, I, that it, it started off by the shock that you had never seen Bloodsport. So, uh, and then of course, if you haven't listened to the show, if you're not a subscriber, Brandon gives a expert review of the final fight in Bloodsport with a pro wrestling mentality, and it goes on for quite some time. So he he got very into it. So I I I, I think uh, uh, if you're a philosopher, you will enjoy Brandon's take on the show, yeah. and uh, I certainly did. And so I'm hoping to hear his philosophy on on kind of the death of the AWA. Uh, as he sees through this movie here, um, kind of what could have been uh, the first version of sports entertainment as Vern Gagne tried to put movies well, and wrestling together. Logan noted the other day, uh, there probably wouldn't be a WrestleMania if not for Vern demanding some of his New Japan money. Um, but yeah, if we, we uh, I, I got in depth on my views on wrestling. I'm hesitant to use this word philosophy because I think people get turned off by it. But uh my views on the way way wrestling uh, should be worked, and the way we should think about pro wrestling as, as decision makers, as uh, if we are if we're going to be champions of what I call the holy economy of pro wrestling, and if we're going to prioritize the economics of wrestling as the thing that drives our decisions, particularly if we're decision makers in pro wrestling, I go over what uh, 
how we should be thinking about that stuff and how we should be separating our personal taste from it and what and the ways that wrestling has changed, particularly in the last 15 to 20 years. Um, but I, Patreon.com. Yeah, I, I talked about that stuff. I, I gave that speech actually to my uh, to some of some students at the at the school last week too. Um, so there may be a video version of that coming out soon. Maybe oh, maybe good. a synopsized version. But yeah. Does it end with them standing on their desks and applauding you as you're led out no, of the they building? Don't have desks. They have. Uh, they sit. They sat on the apron though. Um, and I think we haven't even got this in the notes. I haven't even talked to you about this. But we should. We can talk about. Um, the hierarchy of professional wrestling promotions, at least in the United States today, as and, and by that maybe may I'll just reveal what the categories are: local, super indie, and um, and major. And what 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 defines which category a given promotion is in? We can we can talk about that this week. I think we can get a good five ten minutes out of that. So, and and additionally, we will give our rates for how much it costs to bribe us at each one of those levels. So if you're curious how to influence the uh, the journalism and the coverage, you can figure out how much to spend in your budget. And it should be tax deductible. It's a business You have expense. to direct all those requests to Chris Harrington, though, because I'm, I'm not much of a capitalist, though, so I don't really care about how much money you give me. Unless you can give me enough money to quit my day job. That's another story. Well, we're inferring that it's money, but what if it's other things? It could be, what if they gave you vegan recipes and tips? Uh, see, well, that, that's nice. I, I would appreciate if, that, but you, you should see the things that I actually eat like on a day-to-day basis, just the same things over and over again that most people wouldn't enjoy. What if they give, what if they give you um, enlightenment? Mm. What does that consist of? Well, that's why that <laughs> seems like you're interested, though. So we'll start there. All right, folks, thanks for listening to WrestleNomics Radio. We're always available at WrestleNomics at gmail.com. I'm at Mukigana. Brandon's at Brandon Thurston. We are brought to you by Dollar Shave Club. Go check it out, dollarshaveclub.com slash WE. We'll talk to you again in a bit. There is a new shining star with great interviews, analysis, music, and and me, Matt Coon, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.